Oi, you lot. You listen to Garage Hammer. Episode 155. On tonight's episode, the Fat Manling's doing a book review, so of course, Alex Gonzalez is back. What book review, you ask? Well, they're being timely about it and covering the Stormcast Eternals. Because, you know, they want to bring out the new stuff, get people listening to something, get some fresh perspectives and stuff like that. You know, the Manling's trying to make sure to get the get the listeners something they haven't heard before. Fat idiot, I don't know what's going on. Oh, shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the garage, you tools. For the next few hours, I'll be doing the best I can to share with you my love of tabletop wargaming and probably some of my various other fandoms. Bringing you Golden Armor, Sigmar's Wrath, and the last greatest hope of the Eight Realms. I'm Dave Whitek, and with me tonight, as... The master engineer just mentioned is Alex Gonzalez. Hey, Alex, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Happy as always. Excellent, excellent. So, Stormcast Eternals. Yeah, the boys in gold and sometimes blue. <laughs> Definitely in mine, they are. Yeah, it's, they're a weird new thing, I guess. And we've not <laughs> talked about them yet, so... Yeah, well, I covered the extremist chamber all by myself that one time, but uh, uh, yeah, so uh, I never covered this book. Like, I never had anyone to cover it with me, and uh, then by that time, like, other things had, other books had come out, other things had happened, and I just never got around to covering it. And then you're like, "Hey, we should do this book," and I said, "Well, yeah, that or that or uh, flesh eater courts," and you're like, "Let's do this one," and I said, "Okay." So here we mm-hmm. are. Uh, I'm kind of excited about this, actually. I'm kind of excited about it. Um, as I was going back and rereading the book for, and I haven't read the book, like read, read it for a while. And uh, it's kind of interesting to go back and read something that came out almost a year ago. And Yeah, this was, it was the first battle tomes. This is like our first real look at how they're defining armies. And it's a... Weird thing to look at now. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. It's. It's definitely. There's. There's a. There's a bit of nostalgia in looking at some of this stuff. It was interesting. Um, you know what? Before we jump into that, uh, I need to take a moment to thank uh, thank the sponsors. Though you want you mind uh, jumping in here, giving me a hand with this one? Yeah, you got it. Um, as always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer. Indeed, the sponsors of Garage Hammer are. Oh, sorry. Whoa. No, go for it, dude. Whoa. Okay. Sorry. Uh, the sponsors of Garage Hammer are Unique Gifts and Games. In Grays Lake, Illinois. Mirsha Miniatures. That's M-I-E-R-C-E hyphen miniatures. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Six Squared Studios. For tokens, markers, and more. And Battle Foam. Protecting your... Army. That's right. Love it. Love it. And we would be remiss if we didn't thank our Patreon associate producers, James Mackey, Ryan Taylor, and Shirley Tempel. And folks, to find out how you can be a show patron, please visit patreon.com slash garagehammer. Uh, and of course, I will be mentioning hawking that at, uh, at the end of the show. So uh, we'll definitely be doing that. 
uh, shortly. So, uh, all right. Um, I haven't gotten a voicemail recently, but we do have voicemail, folks, and that's one seven five seven GH show six. That's one seven five seven GH show six. If you're international callers, for most of you, that's dial zero zero one seven five seven GH show six. Uh, call, leave a voicemail. Let me know what you think of the show. If you got something you want to say, something you want to promote, something you want to do, um, I love voicemail. So give a call. I was certain I was going to have a voicemail because Mark Cox was posting strange things on Facebook, and it sounded like something that would wind up being drunk dialed into the Garage Hammer voicemail. But alas, it wasn't. So we have nothing right now, but maybe next episode. Who knows? So. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we take a quick first break, and when we come back, it's time for the Garage Hammer News. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, we'll be back, folks. Just a minute. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. We are back. We are back with Garage Hammer News. Brought to you by the Garage Hammer News Network. Okay, so uh, Alex, the Lord Baritant. Yes. 33 so we needed an, Yeah, another Stormcast character, but more importantly, another Stormcast Griffhound. Yes. You know what? Seriously, when are they just going to make a box of Griffhounds? It's, it's, I, yeah, I all they would. It doesn't make any sense to me that you can't. I mean, they, they you you're supposed to be able to take them as a unit, but you really can't buy a unit of Griffhounds. I mean, yeah. I mean, right now they have three, one of which is in the Silver Tower box, and then two are attached to characters. And I mean, they would just have to do the Fenrisian Wolf treatment to them, and just give them a box of five, and everything's gravy. Bite. Exactly. I mean, Who knows? Yeah. I mean, that's... And, and if you play Stormcast, I don't know anyone who plays Stormcast who doesn't want them. Yeah. You know? And it's really weird because they seem to have this policy of we don't 
we don't not make models anymore. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like they don't not have things. There's nothing that comes out in a list where it's like, oh, we don't make Turvagons. You're going to have to kit bash something. Like that's not that doesn't happen anymore. And they make them. I mean, there are Griffhounds, but just like you know, I don't want to buy ten model, ten character models of you know five of each of the same character, so that I can have a unit of these. Mm-hmm. But um, that's just weird to me. But we're going to talk about the Lord Veritant a little later. Um, you know, I don't mind that he's another character because he definitely serves a purpose. Yeah, and he'll serve a bigger purpose if and when they do like. St- you know, all the different allegiances with different abilities. Because to do mono Stormcast right now, you're missing a dispel component, and he fills that role. Oh, yeah. Plus, he's just a cool model, and it's just a repurpose of the Lord Celestin kit, or Castellant kit. And yes. it's a great little model. Really looking he looks to nice. Yeah, no, he looks great. I can't wait till this weekend. Um, by the time you guys are hearing this, folks, he's already out. Um, but, yeah, he comes out this weekend. I've got mine ordered. I'll be at UGG this weekend picking up him um, and, a, and a couple of cans of McCrag Blue Spray Paint and my rhinos. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I may have gone a little overboard this week, but we will talk about that later. Um, Boy. So uh, what else is in the news? Oh, Made to Order is in the news here. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you taken a look at this? I did. Um, I would actually had a Mordian Iron Guard uh, army at one point for 40k, but it was just hard to get new troopers, and now... Oh yeah, by the way, here's a few select sculpts, too. And they were mostly Imperial Guard from what I had seen, like the Specialist Variant Guard, or Imperial Guard. There were 23 different things you could pick up. Um, Now, they only opened it up for like a 48-hour window, and at this point, like, the window's not even close to done... And uh, and they're sold out of all but five when I checked about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I thought it was a little odd. They said, you know, we're going to open it up 48 hours for orders, and they sold out in just a couple of hours. I kind of thought it was going to open up for 48 hours, take all the orders we have so we know how many to make, and then mm-hmm. close it and then make those. Um, but, I mean, I realize they've got a production schedule. These are going to be metals from what I understand. Hmm. Aren't they? I mean, because those are the old metal molds. You do, I mean, unless they're making them in fine cast from the old metal molds, but I thought they were going to be metals. Um, I should go check and see um, what it says on the site, if it says which they are. Um, hold on. Let me take a look. But I, I, I guess what they're actually doing, which I didn't uh, realize was... I guess, you know, they've got, you know, I mean, they've got a production schedule going on. You, I mean, we all know that. You know, they've got, they're, they're going to be working and making their models. And so they've worked this, you know, made-to-order thing into the, into the, into the mix. And, oh, yeah, it's metal. So these, they're making, these are metals that they're making. So it's the old metal molds, and they're doing it with the metal, you know, so, you know, my guess is that they've only scheduled so much time to, like, make, you know, it's like we're going to be able to make this much in this much time before we've got to get back to making our other stuff, is my mm-hmm. guess. 
you know, they scheduled X amount. Um, and, you know, maybe they, you know, so they, they sold more than they thought. Or they said, you know, if we sell this much, then we, we've, did, we've done well. Mike, I mean, this is, the first, this is the first iteration of this. I'm certain this won't be the last. No, they would be stupid not to keep this going. Right. I mean, they obviously sold out. If selling out of all this stuff, you know, they're turning a profit on it. Um, maybe they up the numbers for next time. You know, I mean, had they not sold out, then they would still they would have made as many as they needed and been fine. Um, I know some people were upset because they sold they sold out so quickly on you know we'll just boost your production run. Well, then they'd have to take time away from making other stuff that are they're scheduled to be making. I understand why they're not boosting it right now, and they could always just come back in a you know. In a month, when they do the next line, you know, whatever they're doing, they could bring all of these can all come back in a couple of months. Yeah, it's not like they can't bring this exact. Hey, we completely sold this out three months ago. We know there's people who wanted more. Here they are again, you know, but Mm -hmm. they're obviously they're going to keep small batch limited runs because they don't want this stuff taking up warehouse space. This is that's exactly not what they want, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm guessing that the five that haven't sold out yet, if they don't sell out, they just won't. I mean, they'll only run exactly what they need. They're not going to run, a, you know, whatever they if, if they had planned, hey, we can run 5,000 of these. And they only sell 4,000. They're not going to run five. You know, they'll run the four. Right. Um, I'm just kind of excited because this opens up a lot of opportunities to bring back old, cool things. I don't necessarily foresee them running a lot of the old fantasy stuff. There's some potential, but it's a very small window just because the aesthetic of AOS is so different. Right. But you never know. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't know what, what they might do, what stuff is no longer um, available. I, 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 I kind of foresee a long list of 40K stuff coming out first. Oh, yeah, I'm sure because there's so many different variants of everything, and that's all still current to the storyline. Exactly, um, but I'm just I'm just I'm excited for what this can hold. Um, yeah, you know this could actually this could sort of I don't I mean I this could be a test for their like a, a like a new way of doing a lot of their models. You know how many times have they recently planned and, and completely sold out, and you've not been able to get stuff. When when a new line right. comes out because they've overdone it, um, I mean, I'm just I mean, there's they're not just doing this because they've they've been like oh you know our 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 loyal fans really miss their old models let's just go hook up the old metal stuff and start making some old metals again, you know mm-hmm. it, that's that there's there's that's not the reason you know what I'm saying, right? There's there's this is this is a test run to figure out something. There's there, there's a plan here that uh, maybe I don't have the the bigger picture on, but I kind of like what they're doing, and I'm I'm hoping this goes into the more more options and gives us more options to be getting more of whatever it is we want to be able to get from from their model lines. That's just mm-hmm. me, you know. I'm like I said, I, I'm I'm kind of excited. I, I'm I'm curious to see where it's going. I guess is what I wanted to say there. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I don't. I guess I just don't see, see too many old fantasy things. Get those Sartosan vampires for those of you who want to get those pirate vampires. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's I forgot what, they made that one. I like him. I have <laughs> one. He's got the he's got the stake in his chest where they missed his heart. He's awesome. And I have two yeah. actually because I bought one and I won one 
when I won the not a raffle huh. from Tomlin. Yeah. But you know what I'm thinking? And this is what my thought was. Um, you know where this comes in handy? Battlefield Gothic. Where? BFG? BFG. Maybe? Uh, I, I know. The specialist but, stuff. Yeah. Blood Bowl is coming out again, and maybe they are going to be putting out new models, but maybe someone wants one of those old models for their old lines. You know, hey, for a limited time, you mm-hmm. can get the old cheerleaders or this, that, or the other. Because you know, we've seen the Blood Bowl, those pictures from the games days and stuff like that. And the new models are awesome. But some yeah. people just want to complete their old set. You know, I want a couple of dwarf cheerleaders standing on a keg. Mm-hmm. And like I said, and BFG, I mean, dude, with that, uh, with the stuff that's coming out now, with, with, the, with the way that the 40K line is going, with the 13th Black Crusade and all that stuff coming on, isn't Battlefleet Gothic, isn't a lot of that based on that? I'm not super familiar with BFG. I never really got into it. I just um, like those ships. I never got to play it either, but man, I always liked looking at them ships. So yeah, and then they got a Prospero Burns coming out the new Horse Heresy box. I will be um, doing a review of that. Oh yes, I will because I, I I like the look of that. I'm going to definitely be doing a review of that, uh, probably on the YouTube channel at least. Unbox it and take a look at it, and then Harrison will want to play it, so we'll get a little review of that going on. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, with the Prospero, all that stuff. I mean, I'm just thinking that this is a, a, a cool way to open up. You know, we know Blood Bowl's coming back. I have a feeling BFG would come back. Uh, it might be cool to see some of those old Necromunda models and things like that, things that people just really miss and want to pick up. They've got, if they've got, Or the Mordheim stuff. Right. I mean, if you've got the Mordheim, yeah, I meant Mordheim, actually. Um, but, you know, if you've got the old models and you've still got the old rules and there's the PDFs out there for people... If they've still got the molds, you know, hey, we're going to hook this up for a, a weekend and, you know, print some money. Who wants it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd buy some. I was. Oh, play- yeah, I definitely. I was playing more time at Gen Con this last year I was there. I, I forgot how just fantastic that was. And uh, I can't wait to go and play it again next year at Gen Con. I just had a blast, so... I'm excited, but I'm rambling at this point. I'm just, I, I mean, I just, I see so much potential in this. I'm just jazzed. And seeing that 18 mm-hmm. of the, well, let's see, one, two, three. Wait a minute. Are, are the, wait, are there five sets left or did, is there even less now? Yep, there's still five. Uh, Lord Solar, Macarius, the Steel Legion Commissar, Sly Marbo. Sly Marbo is one of the first Games Workshop 40K models I remember seeing. I, I, whenever I think of like, the Imperial Guard, those, uh, you know, those, um, the, the, the Yeah. That's, I, I think of those, those guys, man. And then, yeah, uh, he's, I just look at him and I see Sly, but that's just me. Well, yeah, of course you do. I mean, it's Sly Marbo. Who else, you know, what are you going to think? It's, it, and Marbo, it, it, that's, isn't that Rambo just, uh, you know, with the letters turned it around? It may or may not be. <laughs> May or may not be, and the Steel Legion Commissar, man, that guy's that's like an iconic model, you know. It's only five left, though. Oh mm-hmm. well, whatever. I got you. So let's. Uh, you know what? That's that's really about it, though, uh, for the new stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's it for right now. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, I've seen those. I've you know, I've seen the uh, pics of Blood Bowl, and we've seen the 
Uh, I, I've seen the blips about uh, the Prospero burns or the burning of Prospero. I think that looks really cool. I'm I'm looking forward, but I like that 30k stuff. It it it's, makes me happy. So, you know, let's just jump right into the toolbox. Let's do that. The toolbox right. brought to you by <laughs> Chaos Works Superstore. Chaos Works Superstore. All right, what have you been doing in the hobby, brother? I saw some of your pictures today. Yeah, um, I just finished um, my first War Altar of Sigmar um, for my devoted army um, that I'm taking to uh, Holy Havoc and then to Wapaka. Um, that thing's a beast. I just want to throw that out there. I'm not painting another one. How how bad is um, it? Is it really that bad to paint? It's just I can crack through hordes like nobody's business when it gets to these big one-off models did you I just struggle. say you were a crack horde no i can just crack through hordes oh crack horde I, okay that's what i said crack horde okay got you yeah i can bust through those that's not a problem it's when you get to these big single models that are very complex and have a lot of parts to them that i really start to get bogged down and i don't I don't really feel it after a while. I was definitely not feeling them last night when I got uh, done. But now that it's done, I'm definitely not doing another one. Okay. So I was going to do a whole devoted army. So that was 140 flagellants, two of these things. And no, I think I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) The alt you 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 strayed away from the altar and you're going back to your crack hordes. Got you. I understand. I under. I have another thirty flagellants to paint by Wapaka. Ah, so no, that's still no. got a lot of work to do. I I I understand completely at this point. Uh, yeah, and then I have a thousand points of salamanders to get done by Wapaka too. So yeah, gonna be busy for the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do actually. Or yeah, you are. I should say. Try. Hey, yeah, you'll get it done. I know you. You'll get it done. Oh, I don't know. And then it's scenario writing for Adepticon. I have to get um nine plus five plus three. So what is that? Seventeen unique scenarios written within the next couple of months. So. Yeah, this is going to be a fun couple Just of months for me. agent in there. There's one of them. I'm not saying it's not already written, but, you know. Oh, I get you. Okay, I got you. I got you. <laughs> 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 Any event. Um, but, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And then, uh, yeah, it's really all the hobby stuff I've been doing. Well, I have finished well i got okay i'm about 70 percent done with the judicators i'm on to uh i've just got to finish up like the scroll work and some of the highlights and they're done awesome Um, i'm calling the prosecutors done um i'm gonna go back and revisit the wings a little bit at some point um Mm -hmm. and i'm still like i said i'm not counting the bases because i'm still trying to figure out the bases but the models done uh, all 33 Liberators, done. Um, so th- all I've got left are my nine Retributors and my five uh, Protectors. 
and then some characters, and then that everything I've got for that that's built will be painted. So sweet. Yeah, I'm actually closing in on on the end game there. Once I finish that up, um, then I have to get the I have to get my thousand points of Space Marines done for the Saturday event at Wapaka. Um, once that's done, then I will turn around and go back to the Stormcast, and I will. Uh, I've got a box of uh, the Drakath Riders, and I've got the Celestine Prime, and I've got the Star Drake um, all in boxes because I never built them because I said I'm not building anything until this is painted and off my table. Right. So I will go back and do that. Um, I have a lot of other stuff that I kind of want to do with this army, um, and we'll talk about that later because I have like plans now that we've been playing more and I've been reading and talking about it. You know, one of the weird things is, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I have is from multiple box sets, and so mm-hmm. I don't have the variety. You know, and as you're sitting down and playing, it's like, oh, what what does he have on him? Well, he has the same thing everybody else has. Like, none of my characters have, like, any of the other types of weapons. Like, nobody has anything special because they came with the guys in the box set. So it's like, yeah. oh, I would like to maybe have some of those other things. I may have to pick up one or two of these other things just to build those other characters into the so that I can use them. So I don't know. I'm I keep looking at this and wanting to buy and build more of them. Like just I want to have an entire chamber, I think. Oh, it's bad. Don't you're not alone. I definitely costed out how much it would cost to have an entire warrior chamber. Um, and I just, I can't do it. <laughs> no, it's dumb. And I may, and you know what I think, uh, you know what I'm thinking is it may just be one of those things where as I'm doing other projects, if I need a break, I may just like pick up a box of paladins here and there and just keep adding a box of paladins every once in a while. Yeah, that's a good plan. You know, because otherwise you could buy it all at once. It's crazy. But mm-hmm. it's like, as I'm reading this and we'll get into this later, it's like, no, no, I really want to play one of these War Scroll Battalions that is, like, that the big one, the, 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 the War Hosts, that's, like, all the, all the different War Scroll Battalions in one big War Scroll Battalion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't want to worry about points. I just want to put all... I just want to put a, I want to put a chamber on the table and help, tell my friends, just bring your stuff. Let's do this. Right. And it's... it's oh. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, I'm getting I'm getting too in love with these guys. It's it's a bad thing. But I'll explain why later when we start talking about the book because I have some definite ideas about the book that's going to make you groan at me, but that's just me. So, that's uh, okay. <laughs> so, you've been doing any gaming or you just been doing a lot of prepping? Um, actually, I was just at a tournament uh read by uh Chad Hansen up in Lacrosse, uh, Bugman's Oktoberfest. Oh, that's right. You were at Oktoberfest, um, and uh, I think you did pretty well, didn't you? Yeah, I took it down. Um, got first uh, with Stormcast. Um, playing a less cheaty version of Stormcast. Um, definitely went with a little more fun stuff, but still was able to get the job done. You've been um, winning so, a lot with those Stormcast. Yeah, I've been doing pretty well with them. Um a lot better than I thought I would with them because putting them together, they're a little underwhelming at first until you see how the whole thing plays as a team. And then it suddenly fills in a lot of gaps. Um, so no, I've really enjoyed them and 
you know, I've done pretty well with them. So, yeah, no, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I've done more than pretty well. You've done darn, 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 uh, darn well with them. You've won both of, haven't you won both of my events? My working yeah. events with them? To be fair, I used the nasty stuff with those two. Um, <laughs> and then when I was up in Canada, I got uh, second place with them. Again, using the nasty stuff. And then uh, this last time, um, I toned it down a little bit, but we'll talk to that point a little later. Um, but they're still a fun army, and I still enjoy playing them, even if they are, you know, space marines. Well, we'll talk quite. about that later. Yep, yep. We'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> um, I've been doing some gaming, but I, I it's not anything that I want to really talk about right now because it's more for stuff that I'm going to be doing on some unboxings and some other things that we're doing later that I'm not going to just not going to talk about right now. So we're good. And I, plus, I want to get to the the book review. So we're just going to kind of skip through that. Mm-hmm. Um, you got any other? Um. Uh, Carrie and I have picked up uh, watching Westworld on HBO. I've um, seen episode one. I've got episodes two and three queued up for the, you know either tomorrow or Friday. It's Carrie and I are on board with it. We've watched all the episodes, and it's it could be the next Game of Thrones from HBO. You think it's so? That good? Yeah, I was a fan of the movie when it came out. I mean, obviously, I wasn't born yet, but um, I still really liked the movie. Um, the original, and this totally blows it out of the water. Oh yeah, and absolutely. Every week, it's like, okay, so when are we get into Westworld, gotta watch Westworld. Um, so yeah, I've been jonesing on that. That's been our big show, and then uh, Scream Queens just came back for its second season, so we've been watching that too. Yeah, the new season of TV has kicked in. I've been watching. Uh that uh, Gotham comes on. Heather doesn't miss Gotham. Heather watches like live. I watch it later, but she mm-hmm. watches that like as it's on. She's been watching that, and uh, and Supernatural just came back. So Harrison and I are happy because I'm season twelve, and we're still on that show. So hmm. we just can't get enough of that Supernatural. So I I don't know. I burn out interest in shows. So. Watching something for twelve seasons just seems like woofed. Oh, well, I love it. It had it did have one season that with that went really wonky, but I started watching it kind of late. I think it was already about eight or nine seasons in, and I just Netflixed it over the summer, like just sitting around doing stuff and watching four or five episodes a day, just leaving it on while I was doing other things, and just you know cranking through it. So um, I enjoy it, but. That's you know that's something I get to do with Harrison, and so I enjoy it. There you go. All right, so uh, you know what? Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back, and we will jump into Stormcast Eternals. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right, be back in a minute, folks. It was the Dwarden Forge god Grunjni who caught and shaped the raw magic of the Celestial Realm for Sigmar. 
by ascending to Sigindil, high above the sky palaces, the god king could hurl those bolts down into the mortal realms. From out of those meteoric strikes strode forth his vengeance, the gleaming and indomitable armies of the Stormcast Eternals. Thus by lightning did the storm hosts bring war, swift and terrible, to the Chaos Invaders. Yet such rapid deployment was both a gift and a curse. Once delivered unto realms far distant, the Stormcast could not return to the heavens in the same manner. After their initial lightning assaults, only by victory or death could Sigmar's warriors come once again to the realm of Azir. If the Stormcast Eternals seized a realm gate, then they could use it to travel back to Azir in triumph, leaving some of their number to secure their gains. Failure in their mission meant only death, in which case their immortal souls would blaze in rapturous flashes, their spirits returning to the heavens to be reforged once more by their mighty maker. And we are back. We are. We're here. Get used to it, folks. Stormcast Eternals. Yeah. The Lightning Lands. Now I realize that mo- this is that most of you, you know, I, uh, I know people get mad when you rush to get a book out right away and you haven't had time to go over it. And people are like, "Oh, the book just came out this week. It came out today. Here's my review of it." So. I'm sorry if we get this out too quick, but uh, you know that's that, that happens, I guess. Uh, when, this book is like a year old almost. Yeah, I mean it was the first one that they came out with, and you can definitely see looking at this book too, the newer ones where they've really kind of progressed in developing things, um, and then even just going through the main stories in the campaign <laughs> for the Realmgate Wars. They develop the Stormcast. This is a combination of kind of that starter. This and is such then, a survey and a primer uh, for them. Yeah. I mean, wow. Like, I sat down a couple days ago to read this, and I'm just like, this is such a general overview. Like, you even asked me, you said, how deep are we going to go in this? Because this has been covered to death. And I said, well, we'll just kind of go and do a quick recap of the general stuff because everybody's heard it. We'll just hit anything that might be interesting that, you know, maybe other people didn't really cover. And as I'm going over, I'm like, well, this is so vague. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they – it's a weird army to try to cover because they're very – I don't know. Like the characters on them with the exception of um, the primes in the unit champion – like the unit champions are called primes – um, not to be confused with the Celestin Prime, but um, they're Optimus all Prime. Or hey, hey, it's Rodimus. Thank you very much. Um, so what you, you see so. with hey man, I got tired of people calling mine Optimus, so I called him Rodimus. Oh, okay. So I got you. Light in our darkest hour. I got you. I got you. Let's go. And doesn't get ruined by Shia LaBeouf. But anyway, so. <laughs> It's they taking these characters and they're almost like stripping them of their identity 
and reforging it into like sort of a half what they were and what Sigmar has made them. So by definition, they're a little watered out, but as you go through and read a lot of the black library really fills in what these characters are like yeah, and what they're about. So this is the start of it. There's definitely more to it to flesh this out. And a bunch of the Black Library did come out at this time. So, I mean, it's not like it wasn't there. So, you know, right. people were picking that up. We're not going to hit a lot of that. I mean, I did cover a bunch of those early books, too, um, when we covered mm-hmm. the, the, the first couple of... Uh, the first couple of the Realmgate Wars books. I mean, we've done the first three of... There's five, right? I think there's five. Yeah. There's four. Oh, there's four. Well, we did the first two then, and we did some other books, the Gates of Azira stuff. Um, yeah, but we did cover a lot of those books. Um, I can't remember the first... I think we covered the first three or four of the Library books. And mm-hmm. um, I'm going to cover, actually, I think in the next episode, I may just do a book review of the like the, the next few books, because I know... We skipped a few because they were coming out so fast and furious. I didn't get to do any sort of book review stuff. So we'll do sort of a little bit of an after Eleanor sort of let's kind of go through the book and talk about it type of thing, I think, on the next episode because I've got some time cool. to catch up and do some reading. But, um, you know, I sat down and started reading this. And there, there's some things I, th- I think I just, you know, when this came out, I was kind of so excited for it and so kind of blown away by, oh, gosh, these guys are so cool that there were a few little things I think I missed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some things that I did want to talk about. Um, so I'm reading it here. Let's see. Um, on page four, if you're following along in your book, column two, about halfway through the second paragraph, it talks about uh, the Stormcast. You know, they come in, um, and it says that uh, the Stormcast Eternals fight not just for order or for mankind or even for the Almighty Sigmar himself. They fight for vengeance. All long to avenge the depredations that chaos has inflicted upon the peoples and their lands. Theirs is a fury that is barely contained. You know, um, they're made for battle. They were once mortal men. We all know how they were made. Um, but just this whole thing that these guys are all just... this For them, this isn't about what's right. This isn't about, you know, fighting chaos for the sake of order. This is about fighting for... Mankind. This isn't about Sigmar. This is about these guys are just. That's their motivation is is vengeance. Uh, mm-hmm. It's righteous vengeance, you know. Um, but it's that's like a weird sort of motive. You know what I'm saying? Like, like these are the good guys. Like the good guys, you know. And you know, coming down in all this gleaming armor and and fighting to free all these. No, it's not about that. This is about. You took away everything I ever cared about. And, and in fact, the only reason I'm still here is because at the last minute before I died, I was saved and brought up just so I could keep fighting you. Mm-hmm. It's like their hearts are sort of filled with this like hatred and vengeance need. It's not. Yeah, it's a different look at a good guy army that we've not seen because most like in 8th edition, chaos is the attacker. Up until this point. Right. Now they're on the defense. So they have to develop some new army to embody what good guys could reasonably fight for and be aggressive with. Right. And that's vengeance. 
Right. And but it's but I mean, but they could just be fighting, you know, it's like Sigmar got them and now they've been purified and they're coming with the light of angels and they just hate you know I mean I mean look at the I mean look at the uh the seraphon. I mean they fight for order. Chaos mm-hmm. is bad, we fight for order. These guys aren't fighting for order. They they are. They've got this they I mean they they everything that they cared about has been torn away from them. They got nothing left but spite and hate and I'm gonna get you back. It's a it it's it's that's not a hero thing. I mean that's not I mean, you know what I'm saying? This these guys no, I mean that's you. that's more of a that's more of a Batman than a Superman. If mm-hmm. if I may say so. And I'm not saying these guys are like Batman because they don't seem that way so much. But I just I you know, like I said, I, I, up until I read this again recently, I, I just wasn't picturing them like that. I'm reading this going, okay, well that that's interesting. You know, and then you jump up to page eight and I'm rereading this, you know, talking about Sigmar Al- Almighty and it talks about, you know, uh, you know I just I, I love even the, the rehash here and it's very once again, very vague. When you read, um, you know, the the other, the bigger books, they sort of get into more detail. But, you know, Sigmar fell into darkness. Only by clutching onto the last remnant of his world did he escape destruction. Only by his unyielding will did he hold onto that metal core. And then he journeyed through and he meets the many tales recount how Dracothian befriended Sigmar, helping him hang the metal core on the Skyrim. You know, you know it's just like this nice little, it's like, oh, there's so much been filled in. You know, mm-hmm. you know, many legends are told of Sigmar's deeds when he felled the king of the Gargans, hunted this, uh, when he bested the green skin god Gorkamorka in feats of strength. You know, and it's like just really short little. When, when did that happen? And you're reading through it and you're like, is that how that and later on? I mean, you know, books come in later and all these little things get filled in. It's just this real quick one, two, three. And as you're reading, you're like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Now I'm reading it going, oh, I know all these stories. Like, mm-hmm. um, Now, here's something that popped up, and I wanted to ask you about this and what you thought about this, because this I, I thought was interesting. Um, it says here, you know, when it talks about how they're made, right? Um, seven, by, seven times seven... Uh, reverts on the cairns, the cairns of tempering. They are weathered. Uh, you know the, the aspirants uh, are weathered. On, so they go through forty nine of these temper. You know they're they're like tempered steel. You know they've been hammered uh, over and over again. Their their souls are taken up and they're tested forty nine times. And then they are taking the final test uh, upon the anvil of apotheosis. If they survive, they are bequeathed a gleaming portion of the God King Sigmar's own divine powers. Now, that's another thing that I guess as I was reading, I guess I wasn't paying that much attention to in the first time I was the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. So they're literally given some of Sigmar's power when they're forged. Yeah. Does, does that seem odd to you? Am I the only one who... It's a weird kind of way to look at it because we've not – he's breaking himself up um, but in a way that hasn't been addressed yet. Because like Chaos, you have the marks where they dedicate themselves to corn to make them powerful. This is instead Sigmar but look at the, taking pieces of himself. But, look, but that's, that's what demons of Chaos do. 
Demons of chaos. <laughs> demons of chaos are all just a small portion of the power of. Now they are pure portion of the power of their patron god. That's why when remember when they would come through through the warp gate, if you could cut off the power, they would just turn into this thing, and they could always come back because they were literally just a part. When they were destroyed, they would go back to whatever their god was. I mean, I remember reading that they were just a portion of his power made manifest. And mm-hmm. and here, Sigmar takes a soul, hammers it, chisels it, works it, beats it, tempers it, turns it into something powerful. When it's worthy, it gets the armor, it gets put together, and then for that one thing to make it that super being, he gives it a bit of his own essence. And I'm just like, that's kind of... That's kind of what they, I mean, it's not exactly what the demons do, but, I mean, they're gods, too. I mean, he's, a, it just made me think, well, he is literally a god now. He is literally pumping bits of his essence mm-hmm. into these beings, you know, um, for for good or for ill. I mean, it's a weird thing that he's doing here. Um, yeah, it's almost possession. Yeah, I mean, he's literally putting a piece of his own spirit, soul, whatever, and it's big enough and powerful enough that he can do it because there's a lot of Stormcast. There are quite a few of them. <laughs> like, you don't, I didn't, and even I, did, I, I didn't realize until I kept reading, I mean, like I said, going back over this, I'm like, dude, there's a lot of these guys and he's putting some of his essence into all of them? There must be a mm-hmm. lot of Sigmar to go around. I mean, he's, there's, there's a whole bunch of Siggy here. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. You just, you do the math, and I try to figure out just how many um, warriors are in each warrior chamber and then each storm host. And I had actually asked GW, like, how many guys make up a retinue? Because I'm trying to figure this out. And they're like, well, only Sigmar knows that. And it's like, really, guys? Really? Well, they know, but they're not telling. You know, I mean, it's just like asking how many, exactly how many, you know, legion or, uh, you know, chapters are out there now for Space Marines. Nope, not telling you. Yeah, it's the same thing with the Stormcast, but it's just to think that there's that much of his will to go around. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. He's, I mean, he's got to be almost limitless. He's a god. Like, you know, we all picture Sigmar because we know the stories of when Sigmar, we know where he was born a million years ago on what planet when he was just a man. And traveled yeah, and somehow and, ascended to godhood somewhere along the line and became way more, you know? And I still picture him because when you see him, he's sitting there. He still has the body of a man, but it's entrapped an essence that is some Okay, because later when we get into the story, when they, when they the, the story of the Gates of Azir, they go after scores of realm gates. Now, if you picture the battle in front of the one realm gate, the you know the gate that we were told about, where there are there's got to be what hundreds of stormcast fighting there. Mm-hmm. Now, a score is twenty, and they fought in scores. Now, I'm assuming that if it was more than four scores, then they would have said hundreds. So let's just assume it's under a hundred. But if you've got hundreds of guys fighting in just under a hundred, I mean, a hundred times a hundred is ten thousand. Mm-hmm. And he fought, and, and that and that initial Realm Gate Wars was in three different planes, and they were fighting in scores of these places, and then multiple planes was even more gates. That's a lot of essence to be handing out. 
I mean, and you have to figure this is his vengeance. So there is a lot of vengeance and a lot of hate. Yeah, built into him. Yeah, and it's uh, and remember he was holding Chambers back. Mm-hmm. You know, there's chambers that aren't finished. There are chambers that haven't opened yet. There are secret names of which we do not know yet. I mean... Oh, boy. <laughs> poor Usador. Rest in peace, yeah. Usador. Okay. But Pizza Skull was on this week, and we won't talk about that. Um, no. <laughs> so, like I said, I was reading this going... You know, It's like I just, I'm getting a whole new perspective as I'm going back now and taking time and reading it and sort of after having played with them a while and being read a whole bunch of the books and seeing what's going on. Um, and it really brings a whole new question into effect as they're going through multiple times and sort of coming back less themselves. And I'm wondering, well, if they're less themselves, then what is actually in them? Are they just all essence of Sigmar's will then? Is that what that... You see, that's, yeah, that's where I'm... Because, like, if you follow the evolution of, like, Thostos Bladestorm, he's one of the uh-huh, Lord's uh-huh. Celestins for the Celestial Vindicators. He After was one of the guys who died, died a lot very early. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He died a lot and very painfully. Um, but he comes back angrier, colder, more bloodthirsty and less every like time himself. he comes back. When he's yeah. not fighting, he's not talking, he's not him. It's when the battle clicks in. When that essence of Sigmar, when that battle stuff, when all that training and stuff kicks in, is when you see him. Otherwise, he's kind of walking around an empty shell. Yeah. And these guys are crafted to look like statues. So uh-huh. you have to wonder if that's the almost evolution of them. Is that eventually they're just going to turn into automatons. Thank you. You're very um, welcome. You're just wondering if that's kind of the end game for Sigmar, if you really want to go there, that he's used these spirits to give them the drive to get kind of the energy ramped up. And then as they die and are reforged, it's more energy, less the person. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's got me thinking all sorts of stuff as I'm reading this. Like, I'm just going through that. I mean, just... Like I said, another, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad we're doing this now after we've, you know, I, I thought I knew everything there was to know and this would be quick. And as I'm reading it, now, I'm like, this is kind of interesting because I'm like, hmm, I missed that the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's, you know what, let's, uh, let's do a quick jump into the, um, let's do a quick look at the, uh, the uh, little star, t- the 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 star circle timeline thing here going on, and then we'll take a quick break and come back and uh, maybe jump into some of these uh, these here battle plans. We'll jump ahead to some, the the stories and the battle plans because uh, we know the stories pretty well. Mm-hmm. We can just kind of discuss that because even those kind of were like that the old, I guess you would call them old school battle plans now because they're a year old. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're still good. But, okay, so, you know, they got the, the gates of Azir closed and all this stuff. Um, I thought it was interesting that Azir had, like, all sorts of stuff in it. I mean, there was monsters and stuff in there, too. Like, there's orcs yeah. and, and wild creatures and things that had a taint of chaos. 
Uh, humans and elves, elves and dwarves were also in there. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't see too much of the humans. And so I think it's interesting that they keep mentioning that humans are around and we never really see a lot of them. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of mention of the other races in Azerheim until the Grand Alliance Order book dropped. Um, there's also something in here that there was a lot of civil war after Sigmar closed the gates between all the different factions now suddenly living together. So it's not just killing the monsters and the stuff that doesn't belong there. It's rooting out the dissidents and reestablishing order. So for a little bit, Sigmar almost goes tyrannical and squishing out everything that isn't going to say we are going to come back and we are going to win. So there's a, it's a, yeah, you I mean, he's, to... it, it, he's he's kind of got no choice. He's got to keep this realm pure because he can't allow any taint in. That's, I mean, you know, I, I want to say he, he's read books and he's watched movies. He knows better. I've got to clean it all out because you leave that mm-hmm. one little thing in and that's the fool that's going to open the, open the, the, you know, leave the, leave the back door open. And then the zombies get in and then you're screwed. Exactly. It's the same principle. But, um, so you get the cleansing and then he starts to build everything with, uh, Grugni and get everything going. Um, so I'm trying to think what are like some of the cool stuff that isn't really mentioned. Um, um the gladiatorium was a gift from Malarian. I liked that. I didn't realize yeah. that either. The place where they can all fight and, but they, it's like. They can fight and arise unharmed when the battle's over. Like that's the magical enchantment that he gave it. And it's it's it you know what? It figures that the gift that Malekith you know, and let's that, that's who he was. I mean let's that we all know that's who he is, right? So yeah, he's now Malarian. Yeah, I mean he's got a new name. But figures what's the gift Malekith gives you? A gladiator ring where you guys can fight each other to the death. But when the fight's over, everybody wakes up unharmed, so you could do it again tomorrow. It's like vicious, Mm -hmm. ugly, brutal combat so that you could train and wake up unharmed. That's right up his alley, you know? Absolutely. Um, There's just, there's, there's some, there's, there's a lot of little fun things in here. You know, the sky bridges going in there, um... I like that they mentioned the all points in here, like right mm-hmm. near the end. Sigmar's eyes rolled over, th- roamed over thousands of battlefields where heroic deeds were done in his name, yet his gaze was ever drawn back towards the all points where lurked his greatest foe besides the dark gods themselves. Um, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... Other thing is they mention a lot of the chamber or the stormhosts that they've not mentioned yet or really done anything with. Um, Black Dracothians, um, the true sons of Sigmar. There's a bunch of other things in here that are definitely places you could go and develop your own story. Yep. So. Right. Yeah. The battle. Yeah. The searching for the sons of Grimnir, unable as of yet to find Nagash, much less negotiate with him. They found themselves fighting alongside the dead in the in the cold kingdoms, you know. Just there's 
all these once again little stories. And the funny part is, you read this and they all stay vague. And we've we've often talked. You, in fact, you just mentioned it. There's little hints and stories here that's interesting that you could run with. And you read through it now, and just when we first read it, these were all little. But some of them we know now. <laughs> like it's like, oh wait, mm-hmm. I know this story now. Okay, I remember this one. Okay, yeah, I read that one too. So, um, but I do. You know, it's it's always fun to go over it and read it again. Um, so let's take a break and then we're going to jump ahead in the book and skip all the little, uh, the, the entries for each of the, the different, uh, models, not the war scrolls, but the, you know, the fluff portions. We'll jump ahead Mm -hmm. to the bit of the story of the realm gate wars and the, uh, things, because I think what we're going to try here, since most of us know the stories is, um, I'll have you take the war scroll since you're the tournament-winning player and I'm the I-played-it-a-couple-of-times-I'm-having-fun player. Don't poof me, Mr. I-play-and-win. Um, and uh, I'll take the fluff portion. We'll sort of compare them because one of the things that I was really jazzed about, especially last episode when I was freaking out, or two episodes ago, was how they really sort of play to the fluff. Like, I really like what I read about these characters and then when I play them on the table, they follow mm-hmm. along. It's not like, oh, they read one way and they don't quite play that way these kind of do so we'll see how well they fit in these early fluff stories to how they play um, but before we do that we'll do a little bit more of that story because um, people know that so we'll kind of polish that part off excuse me and then we'll get to the gaming stuff which is kind of what everybody wants to get to anyway so uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes folks and uh, we'll get to that so we'll see you in a minute Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Right, the man with the plan, the battle plan. Haha, <laughs> see what oh. I did there? I know it's so bad. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the Realmgate Wars. Like, like people don't know this story. Um, no. Um, I, you know, I still enjoyed sort of reading it over again because it's so mm-hmm. funny. Because once again, a lot of the books hadn't come out yet. Like even, you know, the second book, which tells, 
you know, three stories at once about, you know, they're, they're hitting in the one, you know, they're hitting in, in, uh, at, in, a, in uh, the gates of Azir, but they're also uh, in Gairan and they're in, in Shamon and all these things at once. And you read it here and it's like such a quick, vague overview. Like, oh, look, here we did this and then we're here and then we do that. And it all it's literally the, the lightning bolt. Yeah, I mean, it hits in six pages what they covered in the later on in 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 like a two hundred page book, mm-hmm. um, but I still I mean you read it in the first paragraph you know and you start to get this whole you know feel for what's going on how they're separate you know save for the most powerful masters of the Eldritch Arch the only way to travel between realms was by realm gates these mystic portals allowed a traveler to bridge vast gulfs of unnavigable paths to traverse otherwise impossible distances you know and. Uh, you're reading this, and it's like, you know, I mean, every we don't we all know this story. You know, Sigmar loses Galmaraz, goes back, you know, within the gates of Azir. Um, Chaos basically claims all the rest of the realm gates, um, and cuts off all the realms from one another because they control the realm gates. You can't go traveling through them because Chaos is there. You'll get killed mm-hmm. trying to get into or out of them. Um. You know, in some areas, Chaos's victory in the realm is so complete that they just wind up fighting themselves. You know, like there's no one else for them to conquer. So they get bored and they just start fighting other warlords to see who the best warlord is. Like, we've conquered the realm, but there's about seven warlords in this realm. So we're going to fight each other now to see who winds up being number one and running the place. I mean, that's all they had left. Right. Um, you know what? I still like this, though. I and mean, you know what? I like as I'm reading this, is just sort of how they wrote this story. And it's like, nobody could break down the gates of Azir. And you're like, well, how come? Like, you know, why is his gate so awesome? And you read it, it's like, well, Sigmar locked it on both sides. And you're like, wait, what? And it's like, it was magically sealed on both. And like, even he couldn't open it. No, he can't. Like, it, it, it took, now he, you know, his is the realm of light. So, and Sigmar is, you know, the, sort of the god of light magic. You know, remember, I mean, you still got to harken back to the old story. There were the, you know, the uh, avatars of the of the eight different types of magic, and Sigmar is the avatar of light. And it's he's his, uh, heavens or heavens. I mean, I'm sorry, I meant heavens. I said I know I, I know I said lie. I meant heavens. Um, he's the avatar of heavens magic, and it's sealed from both sides. So they're, they can bang on it all they want unless they are actually on the other side banging on that side too. They're not going to open it. And it actually has to be opened with heaven's magic. So it's right. like you've got to slam on it from both sides with the magic that really only is known by Sigmar. So not only did he close, he locked himself in and kind of threw away the key. Like, you know, because... The only way to open it is to go on the other side of the door where these guys will try to kill you, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy, you know? I mean, you you know, you read this story and it's like, you know, you remember them coming in and you've got all these prosecutors like just throwing the lightning hammers with all this heaven's magic on the gates on their side and on Sigmar's side, they're smashing it with magic on the other side. They're literally trying to break down the defenses on their own door. That's you know, even he's he can't he can't open it. He has to break his own seals mm-hmm. simultaneously on both sides. It's like, well, that's that's pretty thorough. Like, darn, you know, <laughs> like 
Okay. Yeah. But it also shows like the extremity that he had to go to to make sure that he had a chance later. Yeah. Now, here's my one question, though. Is it just his city that's protect, like, or is that the whole realm? Like, I'm assuming it's the whole realm is is this it's giant. It's the realm. Okay, so um, all these other realms have, like, 20, 30 realm gates, and Azir has one. No. Or were they all just magically sealed? He and, locked them all. Okay. And there's realms to, or there's gates to go to each realm from the realm of heavens. Okay. And maybe even various other places in the realms, but he had to lock every last one of them. Okay. And so, so when they talk about the realm gate wars, it's not just, oh, we got to break open one or a few. We got to break open a lot. But so but the the story we're getting with Vandis Hammerhand, he has to break open that first one. And yeah, then they he start, has to start it. And then they start grabbing other realm gates, but those aren't the other gates to get into Azir that he's grabbing. He starts grabbing gates to get to other realms and open up a lot of other stuff. You never really hear this type of getting on both sides and slamming the gates open. You never hear that type of story to get into Azir except this one time. And that's, I mean, if they're doing that in other places, the the danger of it, the, the extreme nature of it, um, we don't hear about. And that's why I, I wondered about it, you know, because mm-hmm. the other gates, it's not that way. You just sort of have to smash chaos from all around it and take control of it. But this first gate, like they had to break. Maybe it was when they broke that first gate, they could start using them or something like that. I don't know. You know, maybe it's yeah. that, it, it's that first seal that was sort of like, you know, once that was opened, he could open the rest. Yeah, with how the Stormcaster deployed, it's through lightning. He can't call them back unless they die. Right. So it's a death or failure. The gate is the only way he can really move his armies around from... Azir to reinforce the beachheads. Exactly. So that's what the gates get broken for. So like he has to break the gate to open it to use it, and then make sure it's not chaos tainted. Exactly. So, but it it's was a just, very even in the story they they stressed how that that one gate, the one that Vandis Hammerhand was at, the one that was opening the gate to Azir, that was the crucial one. They wanted to get all mm-hmm. the other ones too, but that was that that was the gate that led to Azir, and then the other ones led other places from there. Um, so it just led me, I was like, well, are they? Are there other gates to Azir from other places? Because you don't hear about them using gates to Azir in Gairan or in Shamon. They're breaking through, and they're just opening realm gates to get other realm gates. There's this, this particular type of, we've got to get on both sides and smash it open battle, only seems to happen in, in Akshi. Like, this is a crucial battle that this has to happen this way to sort of unlock it. And that's, what I'm, that's mm-hmm. what I'm asking. I'm saying once he's got that initial one unlocked from both sides is the sort of you can't open it at all spell broken. And now he can just start opening. He can just go through them wherever he wants as long as he can control hmm. the other side. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Not really sure. Yeah, I mean, and I'm just yeah, asking, so, yeah. yeah, because it just it kind of popped into my head. I'm like, wow, that was a huge battle for that one gate, and because it was. Remember when we read the story? How difficult? Like they were sitting there holding off chaos while all these guys are smashing on the gate, trying to get it open, mm-hmm. and you don't hear that in any of the other gates. 
including other gates. To, I mean, like I said, there's got to be other gates to get into Azir, and you don't hear about that. Um, you know, obviously, you don't want to tell the same story over and over and over and over. But I mean, I'm just curious if once that first, you know, it's like once you break that seal, did that uh, uh, enable him? Okay, the the, the the enchantment is broken. Now we can get through the gates. So I'm just yeah. I didn't know, see that anywhere. Yeah, I, I, neither have I. So, I, you know, we can only guess. I, I'm supposing, but uh, but so then we get to this story. You know, the fires in the fire they were proven, and then that's the story we all know of Vandis Hammerhand versus Korgoth Cool. Or yeah, um, you know, scores of targets. So, like I said, mm-hmm. you know, pro, you know, sixty, eighty different targets that they're all blasting down in an action. Uh, they get to the gates of Azir. They get those open. Other nearby gates to other realms. You know. Then this is this. Like once again, this stories have been covered. It's but it's this is a this is still one of my favorite stories. I mean, the story with Alariel is really cool. Don't get me wrong. The story with the God Beast is just epic. But just you know, Vandis coming down there and having to break those initial gates and then realizing, oh no, he's. Korgos Cool has corrupted one of the gates, and it now leads directly to Korn's realm. And if we don't smash that gate, demons are just going to keep. It's like the, it's it's like the old Warhammer world. They've got mm-hmm. a busted warp gate that chaos just keeps pouring out of. And if we don't do something about it, we're going to lose. Right. You know, and that was from the gates of Azir, and so. You know, okay, guys, we got to change a plan. He sends his guys out, but now he takes a team. He goes over there, and and you get that that great scene where, you know, him and Corgus Cool keep fighting. They he can't seem to quite beat him. Um, he can't close the realm gate, so he runs up, grabs one of the pillars of it, and begs Sigmar to take him home. Mm-hmm. And Sigmar looks down at what he's doing, kind of nods, goes, that's not a bad plan, and then hits him with a big bolt of lightning, both killing him and releasing him to shoot back home in a big bolt of lightning. Um, but in his death, because he was holding onto that pillar, the lightning hits the realm gate and destroys it. Yeah. Um, and it also prevents Corgus from elevating to demonhood um, after <laughs> getting a skull from one of the Stormcasts, so... Right, because he was going to use one, but then he decides, no, it's got to be that guy's. Right. And once he commits to that and he doesn't get it, he doesn't ascend to demonhood. Wah, wah. That's a great story. I mean, it really is just, I mean, that was just so much fun for those those initial stories. Um, Mm -hmm. I do remember picking it apart and worrying about, you know, hey, what kind of people are left and all the little things. We had so many questions. But now as the story's kind of filled out and we go back, it's like, you know what? That was just a good story. Like, all that other little stuff aside that we did had all these questions about, you know, it was fun. Um, and then you get the battle plan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, dude, okay, three battle plans in this book. Every last one of them, my kind of game. You know, can I just say, I mean, these... These are the type of of narrative uh, games that I absolutely love to play. Um, Mm -hmm. They are uh, quite open. Um, These are definitely, every last one of these is a conversation battle. Yeah, this is definitely, you know, what's appropriate and making sure that you and your opponent have a good time. Sure. 
um, because they literally throw things in there. Basically, this first one, you have the realm gate dead center on the board, and you've got a 15-inch radius around that where you uh, you actually um, you don't deploy anything if you're the playing the, the, the guys who are defending the realm gate, which in this case would know, be the stormcast. Um, you take all your units, put them aside, and on your turn one, uh, you roll a dice, and on I think it's a yeah on a three or a more three. on a three or more that unit get comes down on a lightning bolt, and they get deployed in that circle, and you can keep deploying until you've rolled for every unit or you've filled the circle. If you can't fit any more in, then you have to stop rolling. Just shows you how big or how small that game might be. Um, yeah, it's yeah. You can actually drop anywhere on the table. It just is the battlefield. So it creates a bit more of a tactically challenging game for worrying out where you're going to drop when you obviously have to defend the realm gate. Oh, okay. Part of that, though, is you have to be more than nine inches from enemy models. So the storm, they, they can't. Okay, that's right. The bad guys, just, uh, they can't deploy in the Stormcast territory, which is that 15-inch bubble around the realm gate. So they mm-hmm. put their army anywhere else on the board. As you're as you roll a die on a three or more, you can put your guys anywhere. They have to be at least nine inches away from the enemy, though. So if they do go right near that ring, they're actually t- putting you into a much tighter circle. You could go outside of it, but you want to be in that circle. You want to be near that realm gate, right? Um, and it gives you a safe landing zone too. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, and this one has no turn limits. Uh, no, you just play till stuff's dead. <laughs> yeah, and it's really crazy. Basically, um, the custodian is would be the the corn guys in, in story wise. Okay. Yeah. So we'll just call the the corn guys in the stormcast. Just I mean, you could play other armies, but we're just going to call them. So stormcast get a major victory if um, none of the corn uh, models are on the battlefield. Okay. Corn mm-hmm. wins a major victory if none of the stormcasts are on the. F- None of the Stormcast models that arrived on the first turn are on the battlefield. So on that first turn, everything that arrived, those count towards major victory. Anything that arrived second turn, third turn, fourth turn, they could still be on the board. But that that's that first wave gets wiped out, you lose. Which I mm-hmm. think is kind of interesting, too, because if you get a crummy rolls, yeah, you can the- really get screwed. And, 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 the advantage. To, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, the advantage to the guys that drop down first is they're immune to battle shock. Uh, period. So you have to physically do all the red work and kill every last one of them. Yes, that's right. The the, the, the guys who are yeah, units that arrive in the first battle round don't take battle shock tests for the entire battle. That is good. Um, now, if both of those conditions are met in the same battle round, then the game's a draw. So mm-hmm. if you manage to wipe out all of my first round drops and I manage to wipe you out completely in that same turn, then then it's a the game's a draw. Cuz that's at the end of a battle round. Or if the custodian, if okay, if the corn guy have a third more models than than the stormcast the Stormcast win a major victory if they have at least one model within three inches of the Realm Gate at the end of the fourth round. So if you... Mm-hmm. This, that's another... See, this... And this... Once again, that harkens back to those... 
those early, uh, you know, that the early scenario. Well, if you have a third more models, then you get bonuses or, or penalties. Mm-hmm. And that's that really, you know, you don't see a lot of that third more model stuff anymore. Like they, no, no. But you know, here, you know, if they've got a third, so suddenly, you know, but if they do that, you know, you because think about it, you could take a ton of enemies, a horde of enemies, and really ring them at that fifteen inch mark. Which suddenly nine mm-hmm. in, nine inches in from that, suddenly you've only got a six inch radius bubble around that realm gate, very small area of a drop zone to place. Everything else has to drop outside of that. If he rushes in to grab that, he could really be defending that and keeping you out. Suddenly, it's a much harder game for you. Just getting a guy over there suddenly becomes, you know, a, a yeah. tactically, a, you know. Quite a, quite a big deal, so it it could still be a fun way if you let you know you could play this either way, play something much more even, or play with one side or the other having a lot more army and uh, you know just that sort of imbalance can lend mm-hmm. to a, can lend to an interesting game. Yeah, and all of these battle plans as you read through them, they are tough to win as a stormcast player, given the conditions that required. So it's a uh, a lot of work to try to win any of these as a Stormcast player. So this is not like, oh, it's in the Stormcast book. It's an auto win for the Stormcast. It's really not. And that's the exact kind of situation that they had to deal with dropping in the first time. Exactly. No, they tried to they, they tried to keep it to the fluff where they, they made it. Yeah, this is a dire situation, which I liked. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. don't just don't hand them something that's easy. Make it a challenge and then switch off. You know, and they do suggest that even here in the book. Uh, especially in the third one, they gave one of those tips, and they're like, "This one's a really hard one, a really hard one to win." Um, in this one, we actually suggest that you play it twice and each switch sides, and just see who could last longer on that side. Like, you probably won't win this if you play this side. So both of you play it, and whoever can last the longest, you know, is the winner. Yeah. So you play it twice, and whoever did better with with the with the with the with the crummy side. Uh, actually wins the wins it all. It's like oh, and that's and that's that's an interesting way to play it. Both play the game with with the disadvantaged team and see who plays it better. You know, mm-hmm. once again, just another way to play. I just I, I'm, I get I'm really enjoying going through this book again. <laughs> like, okay, this is awesome. Of course, then get part two and we're back in Gairan, which everybody knows that story. Oh, look, we landed. Oh, Nurgle has a lot of this world. The gates of dawn are corrupted, just like the gate that Corgus Cool corrupted. Now the gates of dawn are corrupted, and that leads to Nurgle's realm. And that's when Bolathrax comes piling out of that. Hey, I'm a great unclean one. I just came out the gate with a bunch of plague bearers. Um, that's when Gardas is fighting with him. They can't beat it. They can't close the gate. So he decides to go through the gate and try to close it from the other side. Um, mm-hmm. And that's Bolathrax for some reason as he's been fighting, he's been expanding. Like he's been like smashing Stormcast and doing all this stuff. And as he's been crushing and destroying stuff he's been getting larger like just fatter and stuff yeah more of the energy pours out into him right and in the story he pulls out what he calls his rock guard which are seven more great unclean ones because you know you need more so there's a lot it's just the situation is so crazy that's why gardas does what he does right is that he can't turn the tine otherwise so he goes to close the gate 
Bullethrax is like, oh, no, you don't. And so he goes to go back, but now he's so fat, he can't fit. So he's like, as he's trying to shove his bulk through the gate, like he's getting through, and he actually, as he's squeezing through, he breaks the gate. Mm-hmm. And so the gate shatters as he goes through it, and he destroys the gate himself. But that's when Gardas gets trapped in there. And we did read, we absolutely read uh, that Black Library book on the show. We covered that where he runs through and he's only the faithful and he's talking to himself. And that's when he comes out and he gets grabbed by the... um, Lady of the Vines. Right. And she brings him to the other Stormcast whom they had saved after he went through... Um, that's where the whole only the faithful things come from because he's from that whole group that they're just the the ones who used to worship Sigmar. Um, another cool story. Um, and then you get this against the Horde. And uh, this battle plan is another, once again, another, like I said, every one of these is a, a real conversation piece. This one, another one where how much you bring, oh, this is the one with the hint and tip. Uh, this is mm-hmm. a difficult battle plan for the Stormcast player. Due to the constant stream of reinforcements that the Masterminds General can bring into play, the battle can swiftly spiral out of control. As a result, they must be as aggressive as possible in the early stages, yet the Stormcast player must also find a balance between aggressive opening moves and reforming their scattered units into a more cohesive force. With such challenging victory conditions, this is the great battle plan to refight afterwards, swapping roles, and see if your opponent can do any better. Um, this one's got a great setup. Uh, the mastermind is at the back. He's got basically a piece of terrain in the on the back on the you know on the on the back line of the board, dead center, and then he's got a twenty-four inch radius half circle all around it. That's his territory. The stormcast basically has or basically a battle line deployment where they're the whole back line on the other side, one foot. But it's one of those where you got to roll to see which third you are in because you just came out of a battle. You literally just came out of a battle, and now, oh, it's another battle. So you're trying to reform your line. So your guys are all sort of all over the place, so you don't get to pick where they go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, great. <laughs> so, um, you know, the Stormcast... Uh, have to take down this this basically they got to take out just them trying to take out that Rome gate mm-hmm. so the mastermind is there pulling stuff out of it um and the uh it's it's just kind of a hot mess for the stormcast yeah you, you, you deploy messed up you got to get over there as quick as you can and he's just sitting all of his guys in a semicircle around this this objective and saying mm. Give it a shot. Let's see what you can do. Yeah. Yeah, this is tough. And if you're playing Stormcast versus Nurgle as it is, Nurgle's really tough to shift. And Stormcasts don't move very quickly. So no. There is a lot you have to take into consideration with this particular game. Yeah. This one is the one that you first one that you see that gives you the five battle rounds. Uh, if you wipe your opponent out, it's a major victory. If not, at the end of the fifth round, the game ends. And then... Basically, here's how it is. Um, and once again, we're just going to call it with the two armies that are listed here. And once again, you, you know, you might play it with whatever you want. Um, if the Nurgle general is dead, then if the general's dead, Stormca- Stormcast wins. If they've got 
at least half of their guys left, it's a major victory. Less than half of their guys left, it's a minor victory. So, you know, if you can keep most of your forces on the table, it's a major victory for killing him. Minor if you kill him with less. If the general is still on the table, then Nurgle gets the victory. If you have less than half of your army left and he's still on the table, it's a major victory for him. More than half of your army, it's a minor victory for him. So it, basically the entire victory scenario is based on that one model being on the table or not. Decides who wins the game. Right. Um, but, you've, yeah, you got a lot to do. And then, it, once again, it really depends on your... Um, how you know how much you're bringing to the table? Um, mm-hmm. If you want to play this really like they had just lost a battle, you may not even have full units. You may have some units that are full and some units that are a couple of models short, just to show that you've got, run through a battle. You know, right? Um, it it could be interesting that way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. put more put a few more units on the table, but not quite full units. Plus. Uh, oh, yeah, at the beginning of the Nurgle hero phase, you put D3 wounds back on that general because, well, he's got a plan and he's going to live. Yeah, and it's tough to shift because if you do this thematically, it's a great unclean one who heals wounds during his hero phase as it is. Then he heals more, so you have to do a lot of work to achieve that major victory condition. You got to basically smash through the whole line and get up there and start doing a lot of wounds. You basically have to kill a G- a great unclean one in one shot. Um, that's a lot of work. <laughs> that is a lot of work. Or you got to really be prepared for it. Like you got to, and you can't tailor a list. Tailoring a list to this objective defeats the point of the objective. Right. Because you're not supposed to be ready for it. You've had this huge battle. You thought you won it. And now you're turning around. And you're like, oh, oh, this just got worse. Right. That's the whole point. So, it's cool. I I really do love this one a lot. Uh, let's jump one mm-hmm. more and let's get this last one done quick. And this is the test of metal. Metal. I really screwed that up. Now nah, it worked. I loved uh, it. I loved it. No, it's um, okay. Um, yeah. I kind of forgot a little bit about this. No, not completely. Because this one is the quest for Galmaraz, which was a, another book, another story that we covered. I think, yeah, I know we covered this one in. Um, yep. Uh, in in the stories, uh, such a such a fun book. But you know, they were there just to grab a couple of realm gates, and I totally forgot. And, yeah, and they were there to find the dwarves too. Yeah, they're looking for the dwarves, and no, okay, this was a weird thing. Okay. Um, uh, what was I reading? Um, they can't. They they didn't know where. They didn't know where. Uh, oh, here. Let me read this part here. Uh, page one hundred two. Once Sigmar had crowned Grunjni, the Forge God of the Dwarden, among the closest of his allies, as the power of chaos grew, many rifts opened in the ki- God King's pantheon. Some beyond hope of redemption. Grunjni and his sturdy followers had always proven loyal in the past. And it was the Master Smith himself who aided Sigmar in the reforging process that had created the first Stormcast Eternal. But the Forge God had been absent now for many years. So other people are making this now? Like, he's not there anymore? I thought he was the one who was helping make this stuff. So there's just other dwarfs and, and Sigmar's people know how to make the armor and stuff now? They don't need him? Yeah, he, I he think took he off. trained a whole bunch of people. And then he took off. 
So he's missing now too. That makes me sad. He's my favorite. You know that. I know. So I didn't realize he was even gone. Once again, rereading this, I'm like, huh. So now they're out there looking for him, looking for dwarves, looking for all this. Because I just remember them getting there and going to that city and having the weird spirit of the girl, like, leading them. Remember yeah, that? the banshee. Yeah. Um, or the I, silver lady or whatever her name is. Yeah, remember? Because she wouldn't go with him, so he had uh, he had her um, basically... You know, dipped in 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 metal and and put out there as a statue. Um, to after he wit- she witnessed the destruction of everything she cared about. Um, but I love this. so he loses Galmaraz, and the, so they they kind of they kind of repeat this Galmaraz story. You know, um, that Zinch tricks him to losing it, but I totally forgot about the whole. The reason Zinch is hiding it is because he wants his power, but he can't touch it. Like, Zinch can't touch this thing. It hurts. And most Chaos Minions can't even look at Galmaraz because the light it gives off is, it hurts their eyes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is kind of cool. In fact, where, where did I have this part? Uh, and so it turns out that, uh, and this is the part that I liked. And it's just, I love how everyone's like, you know, Zinch can see the future and he knows all the stuff in the past and the future. How He doesn't know everything. He kind of sees kind of what's coming up but there's so many threads it's sort of like you got to kind of see what he focuses on and what he sees is important and that's kind of where he sees the most because obviously he can't see everything or else he would be all knowing and the game would be no fun but I'm reading this part and it's uh, for the many centuries that followed the precious artifact was guarded by the sorcerer Efrix a pawn in Zinch's uncountable schemes Zinch himself had long meant to devote time to destroy that hateful warhammer Yet always the master of intrigue was delayed, sidetracked by other strands of fate that called more urgently. In the meantime, Efrix knew the power source must be secreted and guarded at all cost. So, like, he was going to destroy it, but it's like it was always something more important than destroying the ultimate source of his enemy's power. Because, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> exactly. Um... So they build this thing around it. They're hiding it from it. They keep it hidden. And then this stupid sorcerer sees these stormcasts coming, and he sees Sigmar's power in them. And he sees the raw magic, the raw energy, and he's like, I want to harness that. So he literally taunts them and draws them to him, thinking, I'll just smash them and steal their energy so that I can do this thing I want to do. And then there was the whole Arcanabulum thing comes out of the sky and he's doing this giant magical spell to do this, whatever it is he's doing. And I didn't realize what it was he was doing. And then I'm going over and reading this again. And dude, this is a pretty bold maneuver that he's got these, these, um, you know, these nine um, Lords of Change doing for Zinch. Um, <laughs> basically, He's, he, wants, well, he wants to pull these guys over because he wants to do this spell himself. He wants to do this thing and do this powerful thing so he will get all this glory and praise. But um, he doesn't realize how powerful the Stormcast Eternals are, and they start kicking his, his hinder. So he basically has to burn off a lot of the energy that he has been storing up for this spell to teleport the... The place, the place out of there. Now, in the teleporting it out of there, he winds up killing a bunch of them you know, as he explodes them to kill them and, and use that energy to teleport it out of there. And, of course, they get teleported back to Sigmar. And as they got blowed up, they saw 
they were able to kind of see what was going on inside this place. So for the first time, because they were inside the place, that veil of secrecy was lifted. So when they go back there, Sigmar was able to see what they saw. And he's like, ah, ha, ha, my hammer. Hmm. Um, so this, it's, it's cool. This guy's plan to draw them in is actually what undoes Zinch's whole plan. Right. I mean, Zinch stole this hammer from, or tricked Sigmar's hammer away from him, what, a thousand years ago? Hundreds of years ago? However long ago it was? Mm-hmm. And one of his own minions, you know, greedy desire for power winds up ruining the plan. And so they find it. So now they're coming in in mass trying to get this thing. So now that's when he lets the Lord of Change in. And the, now the Lord of Change is in on his plan. His plan's pretty bold. Take the entire realm of metal, which is basically the essence of metal magic, right? I mean, the whole realm is, is you know, metal magic, right? I thought he was just trying to take the hammer into... Uh, the realm of Zinch. That's this not what it says never here. It. it says oh. uh, he was going to. Uh, oh, where is? I was reading it here. I know I saw it. Um, yeah. Ultimately, he intended to use its power because that's what they wanted. That's what he was trying to channel a lot of the power from Galmaraz, but he couldn't do that. He was going to use the, the the power from them too. He intended to use its power for a greater change. A a coven of lords of change began a ritual which, if seen to completion, would bring all of Shemon into Zinch's labyrinthine to- domain. Oh, okay then. Yeah. Dude, could you see if that got pulled off? Not only is Zinch uh, a chaos lord, not only or chaos god, not only is he this master of change and all this magical ability, but one of the eight winds of magic is completely under his control. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's that's a boost. Just a little, yeah. That's what he. I mean, he would have. That's that's what he would have needed to to become ascendant, even over corn, probably at that point. I mean, this is yeah. This is a this is a, 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 a this is a plan on par with the Skaven pulling the Chaos Moon down to the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't even realize that that's what he was trying to do. I knew he was trying to do something, but I was like, oh, that. Like I, like you said, I thought they were just trying to do something with Galmaraz. I didn't realize they were trying to take the entire stinking realm with them. It's amazing what we figure out when we reread stuff. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's you know this whole second reading is like, oh wow, this is this is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get your last battle, um, and this is one of the few where the Stormcast can actually have way more guys. Yeah. Um, and this is the introduction of the Dreadhold too. Yep. You got the. You can basically. You get uh, two feet on the short from the short. You get the short end, and you get two feet in. You set up a big dread hold. You set up a like a basically. You know the because that's where he is holding Galmaraz, and you set up his guys there. Um, and then the Stormcast have the entire other half of the board, and um, they basically got to run across and get there. Now you get to be taking shots at them, and they once again. They've got they're at, they, at, at at closest they're at the halfway point of the board, which means they've mm-hmm. got to run a minimum of a foot across the board, and they've got a movement of five. You know, even if they run, it's going to take at least two turns to get to where you are. Um, and if you keep your guys in the fortress, actually, 
Um, it's going to take minimum two turns, possibly three, to get them to where you are. Meanwhile, you can mm-hmm. shoot at them all you want. Um, interesting little uh, thing here um, with the realm of metal and all the possibilities of all this stuff happening and the little, you know, the hot liquid metal moving and molten rain happening in this this realm. When you roll for turns, if you guys roll the same number on the first turn, then you roll a d6, or no, you roll an uh, an armor save. You roll a save for every unit. If they pass their save, they're fine. If they fail, the unit takes d3 mortal wounds because it's molten mm-hmm. rain. So units with no save just automatically take d3 mortal wounds because they fail. Right. Um but that's just kind of interesting. Now, if it's only that first roll in any time you're rolling for initiative. Um, but every turn you're rolling for initiative. If you guys roll, if you guys tie every time, then you're rolling for every unit, making saves and taking, taking mortal wounds. I kind of like that. It's molten rain. It's yeah. Gonna, it's gonna, that, that's going to burn. That's going to kill a few people. So Yeah, and most of the things in the thematic reenactment of this, they all have a four-up save, so you have a 50-50 shot of surviving, otherwise you're taking damage. And every little bit of damage helps against the Stormcast in this scenario. Yep. Uh, Once again, you get a major victory if none of the uh, opponent's players are on the field at the start of a battle round. Um, if the Stormcast player has a third more models than their opponent, the defender can get a major victory having at least one of their starting models on the battlefield at the end of the sixth battle round. So if you've got a third more models than them, they've got to survive six turns and they automatically win. Because Oh, and that would be the, um, the ritual happens in time. Wouldn't that be it? Um, sure. I would assume so. If they've got guys left at the end of these tur- this many turns, they just win. Otherwise, the battle yeah. goes six rounds. At the end of the battle, Defender wins a minor victory if they have more models on or within the fortress walls than the storm cla- Stormcast player. Otherwise, a Stormcast player wins a minor victory. So whoever got Yeah, there's more, no yeah. tie. Nope. No. Uh, yeah, major victory or minor victory, depending on who's there. So, yeah, you can't tie. This spell is either going off or it ain't. So, mm-hmm. once again, I just... All fun, all fun scenarios. Um, yes, you could totally get them out of whack by not having sort of the right thing, but you can also scale them to however epic you want it to be, mm-hmm. which I think is the really cool part there because I just, you know, I've been playing a lot of games at sort of at like 2,000 points because it's just easy to say 2,000 points. Um, I yeah. want to play bigger games. Like, I don't. Like, I mean, 2,000 points is fun, and it takes a while to play. I just want to put more things on the table. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And it's just like I, I like to play. I want to play some of these really big, epic games. And so uh, every one of these scenarios, you can totally do that. You can totally do that and get away with it. Right. So I like it. That's just me. Um all right, you know what? Uh, break, and then we'll come back, and then we'll talk about the thing that everybody cares about, which is the the scrolls and the characters and how uh, how awesome each of these different models are and what you need to take if you want to totally stomp your opponent's face in with filth like Alex does when he goes to play at all these tournaments. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> 
Hey folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm, it doesn't separate from the base, they custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got Battle Foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at BattleFoam.com. Battle Foam, protecting your army. And we are back with more Stormcast Eternals, talking yeah. about War Scrolls. Oh yeah. Now, uh, I suppose since they start off with the with the heroes, we should start off with the heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good stuff here too. Um, now I was kind of laughing, you know, um, if we if we go with the storm host section, you know, because we're going to kind of jump back and forth between these two. And you get to the section for the storm host. Um, and the first part, you know, they're highly trained. That's basically what this is. In a nutshell, they're highly trained. Um, Chaos These are a, professionals. Yep. Um, you know, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't do this. He must forsake the role of warrior and take up the mantle of God King proper. So Sigmar can't fight anymore. He's got, he can't be everywhere at once. He needs an army to fight for him. So he's doing this. Um, so each group is an autonomous army called a storm host. Each was unique in name and deed. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Composed, you know, they were hollowed knights, but it was, it's just basically a new kind of warrior, this, that, and the other. They were all highly trained. You read on battle training and formation, superhuman speed, strength, endurance. They could, um, you know... In a spoken word, they pivot in unison, forming interlocking shield walls or, or uh, advanced to lend their support and the might of their celestial energies where they're most needed to the, by their brothers. You know, um, it's just, ugh, they're super, they're super de duper. That's what you need to know. Um, and then they talk about the different chambers, and there's just a little bit in there. I mean, we, we, we kind of get how this works now. Um, mm hmm. You know, the command chamber has the characters, and then you've got your different other chambers underneath it. But then let's start off with the Lord Celestins. And basically, okay. as far as the fluff goes, you know, these guys are the ones who he picked out because they're the best of the best. In fact, here, let's see. Column two paragraph. Lord Cel Okay, okay. Um... I know that they're good, especially riding a Drakoth. They're good, and, and model-wise. But I'm reading this going, really? Um, they can bend broadswords with their hands, pulp foes with each meteoric swing of their tempestus hammers, or cut them in twain with Sigmarite rune blades. Yet it is not for deeds of strength alone that he has chosen them, for it is their task to lead a strike chamber. So apparently they could just smash anything with one good hit, um, but their job is to be the, these guys are chosen for their leadership abilities. This is what they have to do. Um, 
and I would say at least on the on at least the one on the Drakoff, uh, you know, fits follows that the uh, the fluff there. I think. You know, would you agree? Yeah, his and then how he plays on his war scroll. He's the general. He's very much the man with the plan. He's the guy that keeps everybody in line, keeps them moving. He's definitely that general type character that we're used to. Right. Um, right. But he also hits like a Mack truck when he decides to. Um, he got a bunch of upgrades in the extremist book, which gave him more weapon options, the wonderful thunder shield and everything. So, but he plays very much that description of the general and the guy that can, you know, pretty much do almost anything you send him to. Um, and then there's a second version, which is the guy on foot. Um, he's a little different of a play style than the guy on the jacket. He's a little squishier, obviously. Um, but he has a shooting phase to do mortal wounds with the hammer twirl on his cloak. When he charges, each one of his weapons gets another attack. And then all friendly Stormcasts with his command ability within nine inches of him when they swing get plus one to their rolls to hit. Which, okay, sounds cool until you apply it to a few other things later in the book. Where it then becomes, holy cow, this is the vengeance aspect of what Stormcasts are. Yeah, it's called Furious Retribution. It's like when he's on foot, like, wading in with his guys near him. Oh, that's another thing. Um, and we'll get to that when, when you get to the... Well, remind me when we get to the uh, the the um, the Judicators. Uh, or no, not, not the Judicators, the Liberators. Um, because they mm-hmm. talk about how these guys all have this bit of Sigmar in them. Um, and they can actually, like, feed off of each other's Sigmar's essence. And uh, right. use that, and that that's actually in there with this Lord Celestant and his thing. Now let's talk about the the one on the Drakoth. I mean, he gets you know, these th- th- both of these guys have a three up save and a nine bravery. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's got five wounds on foot, seven on the mount. That mount only adds two wounds because you know apparently the, riding a dragon isn't all that tough. Um, but it doubles your move. It does double your move, which is awesome. Now. You know, we don't have to go through every little bit on this. Everybody knows these stats and and has heard, you know, what they do. They are awesome. Um, riding that Dracoth, it reminds you of when you used to, you know, be on, like on, on a large, you know, uh, on a lar- I forget what it was even called. Wow, it's been so long. But when your um, inspiring presence would go from 12 inches to 18 inches because you were on a... On Monster, a, yeah. On a monstrous thing here. Um, hit... I, I know that the one on foot is good, but just the one on the Drakoth, his command ability is just so stupid. Yeah, it's tough to pass that up, the guarantee of no battle shock for every Stormcast within two feet of him. Every unit within 24 inches, any unit. So as long as any part of the unit is within two feet of this guy. And he's a pretty good sized base, too. Yeah. You know, you just kind of roll him forward towards the middle of the table, and suddenly most of your game, there's no battle shock tests, which once again plays to the fluff. These guys don't run away. And no. It's, it's, it, and, it's, it's, and remember, we're talking about a book that came out in that beginning where we're talking about this whole thing. You came down on a bolt of lightning. You go home when you win, 
or you go back on a bolt of lightning because you just died. There is no running. Where are you going to run to? You know what I'm saying? Battleshock is, you know, you ran and you broke. Where are they going to go? They fight, and if they die, they know they're going to go back to Sigmar and be reforged. None of them have really done it yet. Uh, they don't. They know they'll be reforged, and it might be painful, but they know they're going to live again. They don't know they're going to come mm-hmm. back weirdos, but they know they're going to come back. Uh, where's Where's the running? I mean, it makes it 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 fits to the fluff. Um, in fact. I guess this is a good time to talk about it. If we're going to talk about them playing the fluff, the whole thing, um, you know, they have no magic. Not inherently, no. But every hero has like a special ability that on any other army would be a spell. Yeah, and they just—they have a lot of compensatory skills. Yeah, and they just get to do it, and it's just kind of cool. It's like I'm the leader, I'm this hero, and I inspire my men to this, you know, and it's just like. We do this, why? Because we're tough and because we're supposed to and because it's our duty and we do it for vengeance and for Sigmar and for every other thing. Here we are. This is what we do. Like, it's not magic. It's not something we do. We inspire the rest of the guys in our unit, you know, to more. You see the Lord Celestine riding up on a Drakoth fighting and you, any any consideration of succumbing to Battleshock goes away. You know, and it just fits to this whole storyline that you've been that you've been following. Um and I just think it's neat that these heroes have these kind of cool abilities that would be magic anywhere else, but for them it's just their their mere presence. It's 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 imbued into who they are. It's that essence of Sigmar in them. Um Yeah. At least that's how I'm reading it. Yeah, you'll see that more I think as we go through the non um hero like the non-command ability characters um the rest of the lord characters and the knight models um they have their own special thing that doesn't require making a choice it just happens these guys have their command ability so um but in any event um with the dracoth obviously you get that big bubble in match play if you wanted to play that route you don't necessarily need it because you get to re-roll battle shock as an order army but it's just depending where your strength is. If you're playing with almost completely Stormcast, you may want to take the Dracus. But if you're mixing it up a little bit, you may not want to take it. It just depends on your particular play style and what you like to play with. Which yeah. of these two guys you would probably go with. Now, um, on foot, once again, he's only five wounds, but he's still a save of three. Um, now, yeah, add one to the any hit rolls for any friendly model. This model, any friendly Stormcast unit... Within nine inches, that's still pretty good. A lot of these guys hit on threes. Yeah, or hit on threes, or the big thing that you get with him and retributors. Um, everyone knows how nasty retributors are. Now put them at a plus one, so any five or six that they roll to hit those two, more, two, those mortal, two wounds. mortal wounds. Just dumb. Um, yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. Yeah, but it's again one character in the exact right spot turns the tide which i think really even in this starter you'll see that the characters are not just there to murder things they're there to make their troops better yeah so they're 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 the buffs exactly all right so uh lord relictor lord relictor so let's get to his little bit of the story 
Um, column one, paragraph two. Let's get to this. Across the mortal realms. Ab- oh, okay. Two things. First of all, these guys are the most noble of mankind's conjurers, shamans, or prophets. So you take all your holy men, and these are the guys who are chosen to be Lord Relictors. Now, Lord Relictors, they're the, always the second in command to the Lord Celestine. They're his advisor. Sometimes they go lead lead the battles in his place or lead sections when he tells them to. Um, this is an interesting bit. Another one that I sort of glanced past when I was kind of reading through this stuff, once again, not paying attention. Across the mortal realms, a battle rages unseen, the war of spirits. Many opposing powers covet souls. Foremost among them, the all-consuming chaos deities, as well as Nagash, self-proclaimed lord of the underworlds. In granting his new army immortality, Sigmar needed to anchor the souls of each of his Stormcast Eternals to Azir and the Divine Tempest. Thus was born the role of the Lord Relictor. And later on in here, it even says uh, they got to do all these rituals and all this stuff. It's the task to keep the souls of his chamber's brethren firmly tethered to Sigmar in the celestial realm. With frequent binding rituals and lightning wreath blessings, he ensures that should a Stormcast Eternal fall in battle, his spirit will heed only the call of Sigmar. Ascending is a scintillating bolt of a bolt back to the heavens. So, and this story comes up. I forget in which book, but you have the one Lord Relictor talking about how, you know, I'm worried about this. He goes, "What do you think?" He goes, "You think that when you die that, that this doesn't mean anything?" Like, you know, because they were talking about how the guy came back a little odd. He's like, every time mm-hmm. you go through there, you got to run through Nagash's room. You think he's not trying to grab these people? Yeah, and Sigmar is the thief in the essential situation. Yeah, Sigmar. You know, he's taking souls away from Nagash, which is where they should be going, he's, as we've spoken about with all the different uh, Nagash series. Basically um, defying the natural order. These people are dying. Mm-hmm. They should not be going back. They're dead. They're supposed to go to the realm of the dead. Sigmar is cheating. Mm-hmm. And that's all fine and good. We, You know, he's cheating for the greater good, but he's still cheating. Once again, not exactly the good guy. You know, we're fighting for vengeance. We're fighting with a bit of his his power just given to us, which is how the Nurgle demon gods create their Nurgle demons. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on in this book that I never noticed before. Um, so how about the Relictors? How about how they play? Why don't you give us some of that? Um, the big thing that the Relictors do is they have two prayers, one of which uh, you pick an enemy unit within 12 now on a 3-plus, they take D3 mortal wounds, which is cool. But the big thing is they must subtract one from their all rolls to hit until your next hero phase. So this is one of those things that once you get up close and personal, you can really turn the tide of a game by saying your big unit of Chosen or whatever you're fighting, you're suddenly now minus one to your rolls to hit. So you can prevent things like two mortal wounds from Retributors, um, and a few other things. And this lasts until your next hero phase. So if you go first and then get double turned, they're still minus one regardless. Yeah, and that's, that's right. So if they very get a long turn, turn, then that, yeah, both, yeah, that just stays on them. Okay. Yeah, so we've got that one. And then the second one is he gets to do a healing storm so he can roll a dice and pick a friendly Stormcast model within 12. And they heal D3 wounds. You can't do both prayers in the same turn. So you just have to make a choice. 
Um, unlike is, most other priests. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. It's D3 wounds on a model, so you don't get to put... That's not like if you have uh, one wound models, you don't get to put three back. Right. So, this is healing a model. Right. So it's a multi-wound model that you can put up to three wounds or D3 wounds back on. So there's no, you're not like regrowing. That's not what mm-hmm. you're doing here. Right. Um, so unlike most priests, he can't unbind a spell. So that's kind of where, again, you see their big weakness, at least in their inherent book. Um, so, and there's a lot of cool combos you can do with him. Um, being able to hit something with lightning storm, and then you have a uh, tempester out of the extremist book run up and tag somebody with suppressing fire. So now they're minus two to their rolls to hit. Um, so there's a lot of nifty combos. A lot of people really underrate this character. He's got potential, but his biggest limiter is that short range. So he's a midfield guy. He's not the best fighter, but he's not the worst. So it's just a matter of, again, what you like and what you think you need. Well, and, you know... Um and maybe when we get to the end of these characters, before we get to the regular guys, we could bring up the new character, yeah, and what he does yeah. because that's something that's awesome. Um, and it made me think about something today. Like I said, it's just going to make you roll your eyes at me, but you know, I will, I will, I will feel it through the through the airwaves here. Uh, let's get to the Castellant, um, and now the Lord Castellant. Um, I like this. Uh, now, each storm host has their own fortress, okay? Uh, each mm-hmm. storm host maintains their own fortress, a star-scraping architectural marvel in which they house their warriors and weapons. Uh, the Lord Castellant is the master of the tower. He watches over the storm He's the keeper of the keys. He's the guy, and he and he's the guy with the warding, lum- the warding luminous. He's got the... Uh, He's got the lantern, but I like that he's like not just the, like the lantern. He's like the watch guy. The, he's the watch. He's the guard. Mm-hmm. He's literally the guard. He the, he's the tower guard for for your uh, for your stormcast, which I thought was kind of a neat thing. And then when you see how his uh, how his lantern plays out, I think I think it's it's kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, so how he plays, even on the tabletop and in the fluff, when he's deployed, he's definitely more of a take the defensive position, secure your beachhead, um, that sort of thing. And when we get into the battalions with the wardens of the realm gate, he's the guy. Um, this is my general in most of my games. Um, he has six wounds, which is the most for any hero on foot for Stormcast, um, also with a 3-plus save. Um, he's got a couple things that he does. Um, the Lantern is the big one. Um, so he gets to pick either a Chaos unit, any Chaos unit, or a Stormcast unit within 12 and decide which, essentially, like, which beam he's going to set it to. The Chaos he, unit doesn't have to be within 12 inches? It has to be within 12. It says pick either a Chaos unit or a Stormcast unit within 12. Okay, I want to make sure they both had to be within 12. Okay, it sounded like yeah. that. That didn't sound like that's what you said. I just wanted to make certain. Oh, my mistake. Um, so if he sets it to stun pretty much for Chaos units, um, the Chaos unit suffers a mortal wound because they can't 
stand the touch of the light. If it's a demon, though, it suffers and it suffers D three instead of one. So it definitely plays. This is one of those pieces that'll say we're going to be better against chaos, specifically a little more against demons. So there's yep. going to be some things like that as we go through where they're going to be targeting chaos, chaos. Screw you, Nurgle. I yeah, love Nurgle. Exactly. But corn annoys me. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, I'm not a big not a big corn guy. Um, <laughs> and then the lantern when he's using it on a stormcast unit essentially is a mystic sh- or a mystic shield so you add plus 1 to your save rolls um in addition every time you roll a 7 or better so this is a 6 plus your modifier this also includes things like terrain actual mystic shield those sorts of things if you roll a 7 or better you get to heal a wound to that unit um but you have to heal wounds before you take them. So they don't cancel on the roll. So you have to be cognizant of that. So you have to heal first and then you take damage. And that was in um, the FAQ, right? Yeah, that was in the FAQ because it did get a little wonky when you think about it. Well, does it just cancel? I mean, I take a wound, I heal it right back. These guys, they make your troops better than what they are. And it's just an automatic. This isn't, I have to roll a six to get the spell off and then get past an unbind roll. This is just automatic, but it only affects Stormcast. So they're obviously playing to what they are. And then they are the most defensible of all the characters that they have, which again plays to, you know, Master of the Tower. I am the most uncompromising of mortal leaders, is how they're described in the fluff. So these are the guys that no remorse pure and simple this is where we are we're not moving and you are not doing the same yeah these guys yeah they get their lantern all this and then they have to prove themselves by going into the madness inducing mists and amidst the hunting griff uh griffhound packs and howling beasts you confront the greatest fears of your former life only those who return can become and they're the master of defensive warfare warfare uh guarding the fortresses yep that's yeah it's Exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the Night Heralder. I like this guy. This guy is probably one of my favorite models, and I think a lot of people really underappreciate this guy and really underestimate him. I like especially it. on Dude, the table. If I can afford him, I would. T- I'll take both because I got the one in the uh, the Silver Tower pack, the alternate version. Oh, yeah. If I can afford them, I'll take both because, boy, especially when you start playing against people who lay down a ton of trees and have their models all around those those uh, those uh, terrain pieces. Yeah. You can get stupid. He's... Oh, yeah. I um, just played um, Mike Butcher over the weekend. Just a quick thing. Um, there was a river about a foot wide that ran the whole length of the table, and... The TO said it was a terrain feature, and <laughs> I did his ability, and I went from one end to the other, rolling mortal wounds. It was like something out of Lord of the Rings, except it was a trumpet. So There you go. Now, the Night Heralder, I mean, basically, we know what it is. He's He comes in, and he, he sounds the horn, and his the sound of his horn brings hope to the Stormcast, brings energy to the Stormcast. I mean, they hear it, and they are revitalized for battle. Each chamber has its own fanfare, its own rallying calls. Um, and like I said, it's the sound of hope and victory, but it can turn into the voice of destruction. 
It can sound like the booming voice of the God King himself and put fear into the hearts of your enemies, as well as literally, I mean, I mean, this is biblical type stuff down here. He can blow the horn and bring down the walls of Jericho with it, too. I mean, mm-hmm. he can destroy. Um, it's it's kind of cool when uh, when you go yeah. that route. But um, go ahead. He's got a couple of really cool abilities. Um only eight bravery, as opposed to a lot of the nines on the rest of these guys. See, for some reason, his bravery is, is one less. His save is only a four, whereas the rest of these guys yep. are threes, um, which I thought was a little odd. But uh, Yeah, he's a little different, and even his weapon is not as good as some of the other ones. Um, it's still got a good rend on it, but he's not a super fighter-type character. He's definitely a support piece. Absolutely. Um, and he's got two things. The first one is onwards to glory. Um, and you can use these both every turn because one's in the hero yeah, phase and the other's in the shooting phase. Right. So it's not like these are mutually exclusive like the Lord Relictor. Um, this guy, you get to pick a Stormcast unit, eternal, Stormcast eternal unit within 10 inches, and they can run and charge or retreat and charge. Um, so Stormcasts are notoriously slow without the other guy that we're going to talk about in a second. They only move four or five inches, or ten if it's a Dracoth. So they're not exactly the speediest things. This guy will take your unit that's relatively slow and suddenly give it legs, or get into a better position. So it's kind of exactly what a musician is supposed to do. Reform the lines, cue new orders to people. So that's what his job is to do. Um, I like the retreat and run. For the units that get bonuses on the charge. Yeah, especially like Fulminators, um, and then even just your Lord Celestin on a Dracoth if you've got nothing else. Because if he's got a Tempestus Hammer, he gets plus D3 attacks on the charge. So So you throw this out and you allow him to do the retreat just far enough so he's more than three inches away, and then boom, he charges again. Yeah, and this is count in conjunction with Thunderblast, which is... His shooting attack, so he can't do this as if he runs. Um, but he gets to pick a terrain feature within 15 inches and roll a dice. And with AOS, there is a lot more terrain on the table. So he then gets to roll a dice in every unit. It doesn't specify friendly or enemy. It's, no, it's all every units. every unit, yeah. Takes D3 mortal wounds if they're within that many inches of the terrain feature. And with how AOS plays with being terrain-centric... This guy has a lot more use out of him than people even think about. It's like, oh, it's just a dude with a horn. What could he really do? Until they hit you with it, and then suddenly you found new target number one. So, I mean... Oh, sure. He's he's a great model. I don't think a lot of people really take him into consideration in a lot of lists because they want to go right to the Vexilor. But I think you get more legwork out of the Heraldor for what he does. And there are a lot of, especially in the General's Handbook, there's a lot of things where it's like you're laying down objectives, and those objectives wind up on terrain. And oh, yeah. Suddenly you for got sure. you got one guy on the on the objective, and and maybe two, or especially if we like, I was remember playing the one where only characters could grab the objectives, heroes. Mm-hmm. So you got a hero on the objective, and you got a couple of units like protecting him, so he can hold the objective. Well, that's three units right there that are all on that piece of terrain. Yeah. D three. D three. D three. And God forbid or you roll, it's a big thing. piece of terrain, or I'm sorry, it's a it's like a forest or something, you roll a six, 
Oh, yeah. That's huge. That's a big footprint. Mm-hmm. I've actually hurt my own units a couple times doing that because I'm like, oh, that rolled really high. I was too close. Yeah, I killed a prime once with that. Oops. On accident. I mean, it happens. Um, but the retreat and charge with the thunder blast, I've done that where I've set up my line on the other side of a terrain feature. Somebody charges into the retributors or liberators or whatever. Then the heralder says, okay, guys, back off a second. I'm going to do something. Toot the horn. And then go back in after doing damage to them, but not to me. So you can be a little sneaky with this guy. Oh, that's nice. Wait, you you use them to retreat. They can charge in again right after you you blow the horn and have the terrain damage to them. And then you're out of range and then you charge back in again. Yep. Nice. Yeah, what? it's a weird piece. The first time I did it, the guy looked at me. He's like, wait a minute. You can do that? Yes. Okay, he's got to die. I know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and he's and he's. I don't think he's that expensive either, isn't he? What's he? One hundred and twenty points, I think. He's one hundred and twenty. Yeah. Um, which is expensive for a stormcast character, but I think GW really put together a solid character that belies what it looks like. So on the table, he plays exactly how he's written, and he does so much for your army, and it's just. Re- I can't tell you how excited i am to play with this guy versus the next guy we're going to talk about so i got no beef with the vexilor although i will tell you right now i i built him with the meteoric standard because i thought that looked cooler than the pennant and not really knowing which was better i got i mean i'll just buy another one eventually and just make the other one uh because you got to play wissywig but i've never you know everyone i play with knows how the uh, the the banner works and they take it into consideration and they bubble wrap the guys they don't want attacked in the couple of games i've played i haven't even had the opportunity to use his special ability so i've just gotten to the point where i'm just like screw it i don't even use him like and i know it's super powerful and super awesome and you could do it with so many cool things nah whatever for, whatever for you i you know i i i i find i'll play and i'll find ways to do it without them you know without that one cool thing um What's really cool about this guy in the fluff, only, like, position, you know, only, like, you know, job that is not pre-chosen by Sigmar when he brings you up. I mean, he chooses his, his Celestins and his Relictors and his Castellans. He does not pick Vexilors. Um, no. Nope. The entire chamber uh, goes into that place that... Uh, that um, Malarian gladiatorium. Yeah, the Gladiatorium. And they fight for the job. They go in there and they fight. Uh, and where is it? And then um, the guy, the entire chamber of Stormcast Eternals are pitted against each other. Although it is but mock combat, the competition is fierce and the clash brutal. And now, here, now pay attention. When at last a single warrior triumphs and claims the banner, he is struck by a bolt from Sigmar himself, a final charge of divine energy that courses into him and the banner alike. So not only is he bonded to his banner, here's a little more Sigmar energy. Mm-hmm. A little more direct essence of Sigmar, because he doesn't, you know, you know, you don't get enough. And this nope. is actual, that actual, the actual power of Sigmar to drop you, th- drop you somewhere on a lightning bolt. Yeah. Um, he's, a lot of people will take this guy as an auto-include in Stormcast lists because 
of the ability. It's incredibly hard to counter, and the first time you get played against it, it's a gut shot. It's a very demoralizing move if you do the Pennant of the Stormbringer to basically pick up this unit that you've now buffed to Bejesus and then drop it as close as you possibly can. So this is like, no, you can't get any closer than three inches, which is something that is really hard to counter if you don't think about it. Um, so a lot of people will see that this guy takes Stormcast to the next level. Um, the easiest way to beat this guy, well, obviously, is to kill him before he gets to use the banner. Failing that, the next thing is to use your cheap, disposable-ish troops to create a fence six inches away from your more important stuff, which is in the middle, and you make him hesitate. You make him go first, which I know a lot of people say, well, I want to get my buffs off against the Stormcast army. No. You make the Vexilor go first and say, all right, if you're going to throw it, you're going to kill one, maybe two units of mine, but then I'm going to take that whole unit out and you've just thrown away a quarter of your army because you got impatient and I deployed correctly. Right, because you've got to so, be more than three inches away, so you don't have to. You can, as if they're six inches away from your guy, that's three inches on either side. You can't put them there, right? Okay. Yeah, they're too big. So you basically can make a pretty large bubble around them. You yeah. can still give them that space you need, and suddenly you're making a huge space because that's actually then they got to be three inches on the other side, even farther back. That makes sense. Yeah, um, Russ Veal put out a really good article on how to defend against this thing. Um, so it's just you create this fence and you make the other guy go first. So the Vexilor has to decide, do I throw it now or do I wait? If you make him hesitate, you win because then you'll get a chance for a double turn and then you're on him and then the Vexilor's not as effective once you're at that range. So it's just a matter of you have to deploy counter to it and you have to take these cheap things that a lot of people are not taking because they want, you know, the really good stuff. Well, you're going to need the cheap stuff. You're going to need body count. That's how you beat Stormcast in a lot of objective-based games. They don't put a lot of bodies down. So you're going to need to take bodies to begin with, use them effectively to counter the thing that people say has no counter. Right. So, and, you know, know. He's, the Eorik standard ain't bad. Like, I'm a big no, fan of not. just divvying out a crap ton of mortal wounds, especially mm-hmm. if you can focus two or three of these D3 mortal wounds where there's characters, I mean, come on, this meteoric yeah. standard, okay, pick a point within 24 inches of the model, roll 2d6, add it together, every unit within that many inches of the point you pick, so that, that's the radius, D3 mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. I dropped that early in the game when you've got your whole army in the back all set up there, all kind of close together because you want them to get their buffs. A, a decent 2d6 roll, and suddenly I just... D3 mortal wounds half your army. Yeah. And you're talking about like how this replaces a lot of spells. This replaces arcane bolt, but on a grander scale. I mean, it's only once for battle, but I'll take it. Sure. Yeah. So the end of the Stormbringer and the Meteoric Standard, once for game abilities, cool. His all-the-time ability is any Stormcast within 12 of him can reroll charge distances. So you get that for free, which would normally be kind of a spell ability, but it's just even his proximity makes them get in there faster. So 
playing Stormcast, you're going to want to take either him or the Heraldor to get a movement piece because you have to make up for your army's slowness. It's just whether or not you take it to that next level with the Stormbringer. If you can run and charge because you just horned them and then they run up there yeah, and then you get to reroll your charge distance, you're almost guaranteed to get in what you want to get in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. These guys work really well together. It's just a matter of what you need to do in the game. Exactly. Um, you know what? It's time for a break. We got to hit. It's it's. it's we've we've got to hit our breaks. Otherwise, these get really long, and it gets. It, it, I start to hurt. So, we're gonna take a quick one. We're gonna come back. Um, and when we do, we're gonna pick it up with the uh, with our flying friends, our flying heroes, because it's uh, crazy white tech flying circus. When we come back. folks, it's Dave. Are you looking for that special model to add to your army? A monstrous creature or maybe a character model? Something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table? Well, then you should check out Mierce Miniatures at MierceMiniatures.com. Their Darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see. And with the success of their recent Kickstarter, those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing games line, Mears Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mears-Miniatures.com and seriously guys, you'll be glad you did. And we're back with Crazy White Dicks Flying Circus in the Knights Aziros. Um, I liked reading this one. I even liked looking at the picture of the model. I kind of like how they painted these guys' wings different than the other guys' wings. Um, yeah, these are the prosecutors, the the character prosecutor with the uh, with the lamp. Um, and this one was interesting because it specifically goes out of his way to point out that the celestial beacon, the thing that he carries, is very different from the Castellan's warding lantern. The warding mm-hmm. lantern is that warm sort of healing light that heals up the Sigmar's armies. Also, you know, it's that warm healing light that heals Sigmar's armies, but also is, is anathema to chaos. Um, this is the light of the entire cosmos. You know, you see bits of... Um, you know, the, 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 of eternity in here. It's divine illumination in here. It's, a, you know, um, it kind of reminds me, uh, you know, when uh, in the original Men in Black, when they were looking into that marble and there was the, the entire galaxy inside it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it was. It's, it's almost when you read it, it's like the description makes me think of. Like you look in there and you can see everything, you know. Uh, to Sigmar's enemies, it's scalding pain and agony worse than death. And to chaos, it's to pure chaos, it's just it twists and dissolves them completely. 
Um, I just I like the description of this one a lot. Does it play that way? Is the question. Um, it kind of does. He's got a pretty decent attack profile with his sword. Um, he does a fair bit of damage. And he's got a rend on him. Um, he's got three abilities. Obviously, besides being able to fly and having a three-up save with a twelve-inch move, means he's going to get around the board quite easily. Um, so his leader of the way ability. Um, a lot of the battalions that we'll talk about later have the lightning strike built into them, which is allowing you to teleport units onto the battlefield. And they have a, to be at X many inches away, depending on the battalion. This guy lets you set them up anywhere within five of him, even if it would normally be nine inches of the enemy. So you kind of break the rules a little bit with this guy. But he has to be really close. So be cognizant of that that you have to go with this guy in and you will probably lose him because people will see that and say oh i gotta kill him um in the shooting phase uh you get to real hits of one for shooting attacks made against enemy units within 10 inches of him basically he lights them up and says hey guys shoot these guys you know the ones over here um so that's cool now the beacon that you're talk that we've talked about um it's basically a hand grenade for him um, during the, your hero phase, he cannot move, charge, or pile in for the rest of the turn. He has to stay completely stationary to pull the pin. But once he does, everything within eight inches of him takes D3 mortal wounds. And this is, um, enemy units. So this is not like the Herald or this is just enemy units within eight inches take D3 mortal wounds. Or if they have the chaos keyword, it's D6. So this is auto killing characters potentially, or, just doing a lot of damage to units very quickly. Yep. Um, you're going to want to get a double turn when you pop the pin, because um, chances are he won't live after that. Yep. <laughs> um, once he drops in, like his ability to get people onto the table more effectively makes him really good if you want to play the teleport game. Um, and I like that light, is it, like that because light. it even says that Sigmar can drop his lightning bolts because he can see better. Like That light... Even through the fog of anything that's set up through chaos to, uh, to, to stop him from seeing what's going on, he sends this guy out, and that light, he can see that beacon. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so their, your ability to use that lightning strike, those guys can teleport in next to him. It actually talks about it in the, in the fluff that, you know, Sigmar uses these guys to rush forward into places he can't see to see what's going on, and he can use them as the... Uh, as Rudolph as the focal nose. point, yeah, yeah. So he's a cool piece. I've not personally used him, but I don't use a lot of the battalions. The second that I start doing that, this guy's gonna be in there. So yeah, he's cool. He's a cool piece. It's just you gotta use him right, and don't use him just for the shooting bubble. I mean, it's a cool thing to do, but your shooting's really good as it is. You don't need to make it better. Yeah, it is nice though. Oh yeah, I mean nobody like everyone likes three rolls. Well, but it says now couldn't now doesn't the uh, other guy too? Doesn't the Lord uh, Lord Celestin, Um It doesn't say that. That's just in. The, it just says you could reroll to hit rolls, right? With him, Lord Celestin? The Lord's on until foot, your next, you get to. Oh, in the combat okay. phase. So that's reroll in the com. It literally says in the combat phase, so it wouldn't be for shooting. Yeah, so, you don't get to double up. Okay, it's not just any to hit rolls. Oh well. Yeah, but I mean, hey, yeah. you know. And if you're going to be mixing and you want to shoot with this guy, um, 
it doesn't specify that Stormcasts only get to reroll. It's just your units can reroll ones. So if you take, oh, yeah. you know, um, a few other things, whether it's uh, Sisters of the Watch or Shadow Warriors or anything like that, they can benefit from him too. So he's not just a Stormcast only piece. Oh boy. Uh, okay, Knight Venator. This guy is basically a. Uh Super fast, long range, deadly accurate assassin with wings. Yes, he is. I mean, that's basically how they describe him. Uh, during training exercises, the Venators scour the celestial space, launching themselves from the Sigmarabulum that rings the broken world. It's during these hunts that each night Venator finds and bonds with the fierce raptors known as Star Eagles. They hunt the etheric clouds, their eyes able to see the ethereal and their claws able to rend such creatures, ripping them into reality as they tear their flesh apart. They can see things that no one else can see and tear them up and bring them into reality, these eagles. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and apparently this guy can shoot so fast that he can shoot arrows faster than you can see it. Um, and they're magical, so they just automatically replace in the quiver when they're shot, except for the super one, which it takes a couple hours to replace because reasons. Um, that's that star-faded arrow. He had 30-inch range, three attacks, rend one, damage one, twos to hit, threes to wound. It's just, oh, Yeah, it's an effective 42-inch sniper round. Um, and because he is taller than the average model because of how he is, He's in that flying pose for a reason. He can see over most things, so he can get to the characters or to the things that are hiding behind uh, the meat wall, as it were. Um, so the important thing to note is that both him and the bird um, in the shooting face have a 30-inch shot. So this is not, oh man, I have to remember which ones are different distances. No, they're both with this. Um in combat, though, only the bird attacks, which I thought was really weird, um, because it's like, well, he's still a Stormcast. He's got two fists. He can hit you. Um, but that's not what he's about. Um, he's also weird in one of the only characters for the Stormcast that doesn't have a bubble ability. He does what's advertised. His job is to go and kill things. It's not to help his friends. If you're getting into is- combat with him, you've made a mistake. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it does happen. And, and that's don't what the be eagle does. The eagle flies around to, to fight. Exactly. Now, I do like that if you roll a six to wound, the eagle's talons have a rend of three. Yeah, and that's both shooting and close combat. So if I roll a six to wound, I hit as hard as Galmaraz. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Um, the big thing that this guy does is that star-faded arrow. So once per game, he gets to make one shot with it instead of the three he normally gets. Um, If that damage gets through, it's D3 plus three damage. But if he's shooting against a hero or a monster, it's D6 plus three. So you're almost auto-capping characters um, with this guy. He's the reason I got into Stormcast was this particular model. And I've used him in almost every game I've played with my Stormcast. And he's almost never let me down. (laughs) Um, he's missed a couple times um, but being able to reach out and touch somebody else from the other side of the table you can't get away from a 42 inch gun and then 
if I ping off that one important character that makes your army move or makes your army do really good things, that's an advantage to me. So, I don't know. I really like him, and I really wish we'd see more on the table with him. But he's a cool piece. Yep. Now, the next thing in here is the uh, Griffhound, which actually is listed as coming with... The Veritant. Yeah. Well, the Veritant. Um, oh, it is with the Castellan. He can go- yeah, now, he comes in the box, but he doesn't set up like the Veritant does. But now, with the Lord Castellan, he you know he comes with a Griffhound. Um, does that is that is the Griffhound included in the cost with him, or do you have to pay for him separate? In match play with the Castellan, he doesn't say that when you set up the Castellan, you have to set up a Griffhound next to him. It's a choice. With the Veritant, it says when you set them up, send up another one. But anything that you put down on the table, you still have to pay for. So, so you got to pay the 40 points pay, for the Griffhound. You have to pay 40 points for a Griffhound. I know a lot of people have said, oh, man, let's just include it because it says you set up. Well, these rules aren't just written for match play. They're also written for narrative and open play. So they kind of have to cover everything. Yep. So if you set it up on the table, you have to pay for it. Um so, I don't know. I like the description of Griffhounds, personally, just that they're these cool little monsters that hunt on the peaks in his ear, and they bond to Lord Castellans, and apparently now Lord Veritans. One of the, it's like the Fist of Gork or the Fury of Gork, one of the Realm Gate Wars. There's a Lord Castellan who has a whole pack of these things that follow him, but you can only get them one per pack, so, well, I don't know. Once again. Kind of dropping the ball there, GW. Yep. Um, uh, they have no save. They've got three wounds. Um, I do like their little abilities, though. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead of two attacks, it gets four attacks if it's within three inches of a Lord Castellant. Um, immediately after it attacks in the combat phase, roll a die and move each model in the unit up to that many inches. Because if you've got a unit of Griffhounds... Um, that's what they do. They they fight and then they move. So the cool thing mm-hmm. is you literally can attack, and if you get a decent-sized roll, you can move them out of combat where they can't get hit back. Right. Attack with them first. Boom. Roll. Roll greater than a three. Get them all out of range of combat, and and they're safe. Um, this warning cry is kind of... Now, it says if an enemy unit is set up within 10 inches of this unit, roll two dice... Any unit within that many inches of the Griffhounds is alerted to the enemy. Uh, it, it's alerted to the enemy unit's presence and can attack it with one of its weapons as though it were your shooting phase. Realistically, it's meant to be played defensively with uh, Judicators and with a Lord Castellant, playing into that play style of if you're going to come at me, if you're going to attack my shell. I will have something to address quickly. Um, so it's a shooting attack. So okay. okay, but it's okay, but it's it's not the Griffons that are attacking. They're alerting another unit that's within that many inches of the of Griffin. the Hound. So some and, and when it says set up, that doesn't just mean move within ten inches of them. It's it? set up. So this is summoning or tunneling. So, yeah, if something just drops, you just drop it down there within 10 inches of them. Roll two dice, and any unit within that many inches of the Griffhounds, the Griffhounds are like, brah, 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 and everyone goes, oh, look, over there, and gets to just chuck weapons at it. Mm-hmm. Huh. 
it doesn't come up that much, but if you're playing against a summoner, this is a big deal. Yeah, just keeping your Griffhound sort of near your your shooters. Um, with, yeah, yeah. Or if you want to shut down an engine coven, uh, the Scryer list that everyone talks about, where oh yeah, they just tunnel up. Well, that's great. If you tunnel up close to me, I'm going to shoot you before you get to do anything. So, it's got purposes, um, and they're they're super fast between their basic move plus being able to charge in and then being able to move out. And then if they're not within three, they're not engaged. So then they get to move again. They can get across the table very quickly if they wanted to. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It's like, they're not that tough, but they, they, they grant a lot of cool little bonuses, you know, Mm -hmm. on the field. So, all right, that's the heroes, except for the new guy, which we've held off on him. So let's, Let's stop holding yeah, off and take a look at a couple new heroes that have come out since this book was released. Yep. Um, so the Lord Veritant. Um, so he's kind of the witch hunter for Sigmar. Um, he's your answer to wizards as a pure Stormcast army. Um, and he fills a very big need in that army. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he, he can dispel, and it doesn't say he can how many times, it just says he can dispel. Yeah, that's going to need to be addressed just to make it crystal clear. Um, but the truth is, most wizards and priests that say they can unbind specify how many times, his doesn't. Nope. Um, so that will need to be addressed. Um, he's also got one more attack than a Lord Castellan. One less reach, though, and then still the same damage spread. So he can put out a lot of damage. He can put out up to eight wounds just in combat because he's cool. Um, he's got uh, his. He's got a prayer. So on a four plus, he picks an enemy wizard within seven, and on a four or better, uh, that wizard takes D three mortal wounds, which is cool. Um, you know, just that little extra witch huntery stuff. Yep. Um, and then when he sets up, you set up a Griffhound within three inches of him. Um, so he becomes bonded. That Griffhound becomes bonded to him instead of a Lord Castellant. And then if uh, the Griffhound is within six inches of a wizard that the Lord Veritant is attempting to dispel, he gets plus three to that roll. So that's a huge shutdown range. If you run the Griffhound up and then Suddenly you're in range to dispel, you're plus three to your dispel rolls, you're going to shut down a magic phase, which yep. is huge. Yeah. I mean, people are going to try to kill this thing, this guy. I mean, he's got six oh, no. wounds, but he becomes yeah, a target, the, or at least kill the Griffhound, you know? Yeah, the Griffhound becomes target priority because it's only the Griffhound that he sets up. So it's not like this is every Griffhound, it's that Griffhound. Right. Which is not hard to do. People have said that this guy is going to be the next broken thing. He's really not. You kill a three-wound, no-save Griffhound, suddenly he's not that cool. He's still cool, but he's not that cool. Uh, man, he gets a chance to dispel, which is awesome in my book. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm pleased with this guy. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to using him. And the other um. guy? Yeah, we've got two more. Um, the Errant Questor is the uh, Warhammer World exclusive miniature. Um, you and I each have one incoming. 
at some point. Um, yep. He's a very weird model. He's the only Stormcast without a helmet that will be fixed. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I wasn't so, too pleased with that. Yeah. He's got a uh, three up save that he ignores rend period. Um, which is a real big deal. It doesn't matter if you're Ren minus five. That's great. I still have a three up save. Um, he's got a great sword. So it's three attacks, threes to hit threes to wound Ren one damage D three. So he can put a hurting on something. Um, he can reroll failed charge rolls because he wants to get in there and he is relentless. Um, and then he has oath sworn. So after he sets up, he gets to pick a mission that he has to complete. Um, which is either to protect a hero so he can jump in front of shots that are targeting uh, your other characters within three of him. Um, and it's only for that particular character that you pick to, for him to protect. Um, he can either reroll fail to hit and wound against an enemy hero that you pick at the start of the game. Um, and then for his other one is just how high can I get my body count? So every <laughs> 10 wounds he inflicts throughout the course of the game, he gets to add one to his attack value. Um, and there's no cap on this. I mean, obviously you're going to run out of time, but he can still put a hurting on units um, with, you know, threes to hit wound, run one damage D three. So <coughs> it just depends what you're fighting. So you get a little bit of flexibility out of this guy. It's just a matter of what you're going to be doing. Um, and then the last one is the Knight Questor. This is the guy that came in the uh, Silver Tower box. Um, he's the left-handed Stormcast. They um, want to do something different with him. Um, so he's got a pretty standard sword. Um, four attacks, three to hit, three to rend one, rend one damage one. Um if he's within six inches of an enemy hero, when he's chosen to fight, he can pile in six inches instead of three, but he has to go at that hero um, and get within an inch of him. And then he can reroll failed to hit rolls if he's targeting a hero. So he's kind of an assassin. He's the guy sent out by Sigmar to um, kill certain characters or kill certain like heroes achieve items, complete quests as befitting a knight questor yep. name. Um, his shield, he can reroll all failed saves, which is huge. Yeah. Um, especially with a three up starting and then any roll of a six to wound with him, um, is damage two instead of damage one. So he's cool. He's not, you know, like awesome, but he can still tank something and, you know, get a three up or two up very easily and just stand there. Yep. yep. So, yeah, those are all the Stormcast characters, and they have a lot of them. They do. Whew. But you can pick and choose between these and really tailor out what your little special abilities are going to be and how you're going to use that with the units you pick. Um, there's a lot of tailoring this. Um, now that they've added the Lord Veritant, I finally realized um, why I love this army so much. Um, they're the Dwarf Army. They're the Dwarf Army. I was going to go with Armored Wood Elves, but yeah, sure. No, no they're, but they are, look, what's their biggest drawback? They have, they're slow, and they have no magic. They're heavily armored. They're tough. They deal out a lot of damage, 
but they're slow moving and they don't have any magic. And now you got a guy who can just sit around and can dispel all day and mess up your opponent's magic face. This is a dwarf army. I'll go with armored wood elves, but sure. Armored wood? How wood elves? The way I play these guys is very quick, very alpha strikey. So to me, that plays a lot more wood elves. They just got a lot more resilience to them. See, my list contains a lot. Uh, basically, um, I've got a couple units of liberators, or I've got a unit of liberators, uh, a couple units of adjudicators, a couple units of um, prosecutors. Um, then I've got, you know, I got a nice big unit of retributors, and then I've got a few characters, and I just march that stuff right up the field and start smashing. Right through, literally walking up with a bunch of guys, guys in heavy armor, interlocked side by side, swinging big hammers. That sounds like a yeah. dwarf army to me. Except yeah, they're I taller. play it. Yeah, I mean, I. But the thing is, you can see like the differences between how these guys can play even within themselves. Oh sure, I play a very fast, elusive, hit it, and make sure it's dead. Um, so I play a very different style, but it's still within Stormcast, so you can kind of vary your army. You can see the differences between these things just based on choices that you make. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm really playing kind of with what I have, which is kind of how this sort of started. Um, with this, But I'm like, I like playing with this. Like, this is fun. Like, I'm not like, oh, I really need to get these other things. Like, yeah, having those those guys on the, like having the Drakoth Riders and having the Celestine Prime and stuff like that would be really cool. But I'm not like, oh, if I don't have these, this stinks. It's like, no, I can, I, this actually it works to a style I'm used to playing. You know? Yeah. Fighting and having to kill them to a man because they just don't want to break or run away. Um, this is, this is how I'm used to playing. And, I, and I play, it plays well for me and I really enjoy it. So, um, I guess that's another example of just, um, you know, how in this game, you know, you can play armies multiple ways. And they they can all work, and you're not just going to see one list when you come up to a table. No, there's so much variation. Even if people have said, "Oh, well, you just take all the Vexlor and all the deep striking stuff," it's like, no, you don't have to do that. And they play just fine. They're a very forgiving army to play, and there's a lot of different ways that you can play them. So it's not just this, you know, over the top style that a lot of people talk about. Yep. So let's get to the. Uh Let's get to the units now. Yeah. And um, we get to the Liberators. And, you know, you get to this. And, again, it mentions how all the Stormcasts are imbued with a portion of the God King's might. Uh, you know, just like chaos. Um, you know, uh, but you know, during training, natural leaders emerge. Sigmar summons them, and they become primes. Every aspect is shaped by the needs of his war. Um, they're all imbued with portion of his might, like the Paladin Conclaves are so thundercharged with mystic power that other nearby Stormcast Eternals can draw upon and make use of their energies. As part of their training exercises, they learn to channel this power, making their force even stronger than the sum of its component retinues. So, I mean, that's kind of where this is. Um, the funny thing is, even with all of this stuff, their description is kind of generic. Everyone's a hero. You know, I brought up all these heroes. But these are the heroes who didn't stand out and get special jobs. But they're still heroes. Um, 
You know, I mean, it's just it's kind. Of, I mean, after all the stuff we've read about all these special guys, you got these guys who are, uh, you know, uh, you know, two wounds, four up save. You know, you know, decent attacks, decent hits. Um, the, my guys all have the shields because they're the ones that came out of the box, or they're re-rolling ones to you know for saves. It's like, no, uh, well, these guys are. Me- this is the mediocre unit here in the army. They have a very particular role that they fill, which is defense. Um, they're the only ones that get these shields, besides some of the prosecutors. So their job is to find an objective sit on it and say, this is mine, you're not getting it, and I'm just going to stand here. They're not that great in combat, um, but they do have an ability um, called Lalo the Tyrants, which is probably the coolest sounding name for an ability, but it's a little underwhelming. Um, They get to add plus one to their to-hit rolls if they're fighting against a target with a wound characteristic of five or more. So this is your big stuff, your monsters, some of the bigger cavalry, that sort of stuff. Heroes. So, ogres. yeah, they go from, yeah. No, ogres are only four for oh. the most part. No, that's right. So it'll be all the ogre heroes then. Yeah, not just regular ogres. Or Mornfang or stuff, the big stuff. Yeah. So they get to trigger this. So they get plus one to hit. If they have a Lord Celestin on foot next to them that pop their command ability, they're now hitting at plus two. So even with a hammer, they're hitting on twos, wounding on threes. Um, so they have that neat little stack ability, or if they don't take the shield, they get to pair their weapons and do reroll ones to hit, which is fairly standard for a two hand weapon wielding model. Right. Um, and then one in five of them can take a grand weapon, whether it's a grand hammer or a grand blade, which is just the same kind of profile, but has a rend and more damage. So I never leave without at least one unit of these guys to kind of be the tertiary combat unit and to squat on objectives and just not go anywhere. Yep, that's exactly what they're good for. I mean, that's... You're not running them up. You're not taking them into the big fights. You're putting them somewhere and saying, this this is mine now, uh, and it'll take you a while to take it. Especially if I got a guy in a Dracoth making sure they never, ever break. Yeah. Because their bravery is only six on a lot of these things. That's kind of, you know. I mean, that's kind of middle of the road, but they do have a lot of abilities to buff their bravery. So, Yep. All right, so then we get to their brothers, the Judicators. Um, Their arrows turn into arcs of lightning in flight, which it's kind of (laughs) cool. You know, it's like you shoot the bow, and then all of a sudden the arrow just turns into lightning and hits you with a big bolt of lightning, which I think is kind of cool. Um, some of them have crossbows, shorter range, higher rate. Um, does anybody take the crossbows? I mean, they look a little weird. They do look a little weird. Um, and on the table, I've tried to find a way to use them. I can't. The, just, the, the, the range is so good on the on the bows, and they hit pretty well. I just don't see for taking the crossbows. I mean, you know, it looks a little weird. It's not bad, though. It's kind of cool. And they get the they get the multiple shots, you know. It's you know, I just I don't see why you would want to, and when you've got that double the range and a decent hit with the, uh, and you actually get rend. I like how the 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 this seems this seems to go against all arrow you know projectile shooting logic, but the bolt 
thrower, you know. Um, or the cro- you know the uh, crossbow does not have rend. The regular bow does. Yeah, they. I don't know. I think they went the dark elf or Peter crossbow route with the bolt yeah. storms, um, just to crack out a lot of fire, and they do. Um, but you have to hit so many conditions for them to be optimal, which is not to move, have an enemy within 12 inches, just so they can fire three times the crossbow each, which is cool. It lays down a lot of shots, but it's just not It's not a skybolt bow or the, uh, the shockbolt bow. You just deal so much damage at 29 inches, which is a real big deal between their move and the range of the weapon itself. Um, the trick that they get is they get to reroll ones of their shooting attacks when shooting against chaos units. So again, this is one of that part. We're here to kick chaos in the teeth. Yep. So this is one of their units that gets that bonus. So, and I, I always got some of these guys in there cause it's nice to have a little bit of ranged ability. Yeah. And yeah, plus and the, the, uh, the, the prime, Gets plus one to hit, so he's hitting on twos. You give that fool the uh, the shock bolt bow, mm-hmm. so he's hitting on twos, which almost always hits. And then you roll a d6 to see how many wound rolls you're actually making. Yeah, it's so, everyone's favorite combo with judicators. Well, seriously, yeah, I mean, why not? You're you're you know you got a unit of five, four regular attacks, one hitting on twos. You roll that. You know, your threes to hit, so, you know, three or your four regular ones wind up hitting. And then your one your one from your prime almost always hits, and then you get another four on average from that. I mean, half the time I've got five attacks, and I wound up, with, I wind up rolling like six wounds. Yeah. It's a big deal of a weapon, and there's really, since there's no cost difference right now between the crossbows and the bows in match play there's no reason not to take it um but obviously do what your playstyle is and if you know how to make these things work holla out because i'd love to see somebody make these things work with a crossbow as opposed to a bow yeah so. um you can either yeah if you got the answer to that you can either email me david at garagehammer.net or put it on our show thread on the TGA.community forum where we will have the show thread because yeah. I don't know how to make it work either. But, well, you know, I don't know how to do a lot of things. So let's get to the retributors. we got three types of paladins, which I didn't realize until I had brought them over to your house when I had nine retributors because three in a box and I had three sets. And then I had a box of uh, protectors with one st- uh, star soul base. I'm like... I can actually take the Star Soul Mace and just move it into the unit of Retributors and have a nice even 10 because they all have the same armor because they're all the Paladins. It just depends on what weapon they're holding. And the helmet on their head. Oh, the helmet does very little bit. And yeah, I guess, but other than that, it's the same kit. Oh, well, it's not that much different. but So, um, Retributors. I think this is everybody's favorite of the three. Um, and okay, just listen to this description though. How can this not be your favorite? Like I read this and it's like, yeah, I want these guys. I want these guys a lot. Where is it? Let me find their description. 
each swing of their mauling lightning hammers, the retributors add to the growing tales of sheer power. They can be found where battles at his fiercest, wading forward, swinging their mighty hammers in wide arch arcs. Such is the force and shock of their bl- blows that broken shards of shields, armor, or bone fly upwards as the retributors plow their way deep in enemy lines. It talks about them walking in unison and just swinging these axes. I mean these hammers. And I'm just, pic- just picture it. You're swinging it, and big chunks of armor are flying with sort of like a, like a, a trail of blood behind them as teeth and hair and big chunks of stuff are just flying out. They're just swinging it and just... Tr- they're just breaking through everything it hits. I'm like, this is awesome. And then if you hit perfectly, it calls down a bit of a lightning strike from Sigmar because, you know, reasons. Reasons. Oh, these guys are just great. They're expensive. 220 points for five. Worth every penny. Absolutely. This is kind of the the standard Paladin build if you're going to take it. Um, They do a ton of damage. They have all these paladins have three wounds, and their bravery is seven, but they're also movement four, so they're really slow. Which again may play into that dwarf thing you've got, but it's yep. the same sort of principle. You're going to need a movement piece to make these guys move because they're slow. Um, so the hammer, everyone knows what these things do. On a six, it's two mortal wounds when they hit you. Goes up to five or six if you've got the LC on foot with the command ability, um, and then. All of the paladins can take a star soul mace um, at a rate of two for every five. So a 10-man team of these can have four of these maces. And these things are ridiculous. Um, You just pick an enemy unit within an inch of the model with the mace. And they take D3 mortal wounds. Merry Christmas. No roll to hit. No roll to wound. D3 mortal wounds. Um, So these guys are the ones that can go in against high armor targets, high wound targets, and do just about anything to everyone. Um, You're giving them only... the opportunity to do a lot more wounds with the regular hammers because they can do up to four wounds apiece. But compared to an average of two, yeah, yeah. But you're just automatically doing the wounds. It's just nope. This is happening. Mm-hmm. That guy with the really awesome save. Nope. This is happening. Yeah, you've got to be careful where you throw these guys. Um, they have some things that are really going to give you trouble. Um, Necrosphinxes and Stonehorns in particular, because they half damage that does to them, so it's only one wound every swing with a hammer. Oh. Um, and then anything that has a save against mortal wounds, in particular Chaos Warriors with shields, because they get a five-up save against mortal wounds. Oh, okay. And then, uh, ironically enough, Nurgle Demons, because they just slug off anything on a five-plus. So target priority is a big deal with these guys to get the most out of them. They will die quickly if you're not careful with them and if you put them against a lot of models that they can't hit through hard enough. So just understand that if you're going to use these guys with a Vexilor, you're going to lose the squad. Almost guaranteed. It's just you have to try to take down as much as you can with them. Okay. Oh, well, right, yeah, because you're going to drop them in, and, yeah, they're going to be all by themselves. They're going to get surrounded. They're going to get chopped. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know what? It's uh, We're getting close. I think we've got to take one more break, and then we can come back and finish off all these units. So let's do it. One more. 
quick break, and then we're going to come back with the protectors and the decimators. centuries, the mightiest of mankind's warriors have been whisked off battlefields, called to a higher cause. In thunder flashes, those chosen are taken to Sigmaron, amongst the stars of the celestial realm. Great and perilous trials await. In the age of myth, Sigmar owed many gods, each of which gave unto him a gift, and Sigmar pulls energies from those divine tributes to impart to each warrior he reforges. After a lengthy feast to build up their strength, the aspirants are taken to the chamber of the broken world to be blasted apart by lightnings, then reformed. Those that survive begin the godly infusion, the metal of each man sorely tested time and again within the forge eternal. Seven times seven are the cairns of tempering which the aspirants have to weather. Steeped in justice and blended once more with godly gifts, those battered spirits that awaken still have an ultimate test. Upon the anvil of apotheosis are Stormcast Eternals finally wrought. If they endure, they rise a final time, imbued with the energies of the heavens, bequeathed a gleaming portion of the God King Sigmar's own divine powers. And we are back talking about more paladins and different ways to hit the guy. Yeah. So now, okay, the protectors come in and they got those long sort of lances. As they whirl, the storm strike glaives of the protectors weave patterns of celestial energies that shimmer and hang in briefly visible contrails behind the blurred blades. So powerful is this mystic aura that it forms a partial shield, a deflective force capable of blunting arrows and mystic bolts alike. In this way, protectors earn their namesake, shielding the retinues behind them with their own armored forms. So do they spin these things? Like, just like hold them in the center and spin them? Okay, so I have two ways of looking at these. One of them is funnier than the other. So you can either spin it like a fan is how I initially read this. And they just kind of like blow things away, kind of like, you know, a fan or something. Um, But that seemed kind of silly. And then if you watch a movie like, I don't know if you've seen this, but Hero with Jet Li. Yeah, I own um, that. When they're deflecting the arrows off the top of the monastery... That's what I see them more doing is that these guys are moving their weapons and swatting things out of the sky in droves like how they do in that sequence. So that's what I think it means to say. But by the same token, it's still funny to see them just spinning it like a fan and blowing yeah. things away. 
Well, they don't even have to blow it away. It's just spinning that fast. It's just bouncing off of it. That's what I'm just picturing. Stuff just hitting that sort of, and it's leaving that little trail. So it almost looks like a glowing shield, like a, like a translucent sort of, you know, glowing shield. And it's just a ping, 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 pouncing off. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And these protectors, I mean, I got a unit of five of them. They look cool. They've got cool three attacks, you know, threes by threes, one rend, one damage. Um, if your wound roll is a six or more on a monster, it's D6 damage instead of one damage. I mean, that's that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, every one of these paladins has a particular role. The Retributor kind of does everything. These guys are twofold. It's... They can lay down a lot of damage. They have the highest reach of anything in this book at three inches, which is big for models on 40 millimeter bases. Um, and just five of them with a prime is 16 attacks at threes by threes, rend one damage one. So against a monster, it's like, hello, poke, sorry. Um, they're cool. And then, living up to their namesake with a storm shield. Um, you have to, your opponent has to subtract one from all to hit rolls for enemy shooting attacks that either target them or which must cross a unit of protectors to hit something beyond them. So if you're dealing with like artillery or something like that, they now go from like maybe needing fours to now needing fives to hit this unit or anything beyond them, including your semi-squishy characters. So they do their job, which is to protect your characters. Yeah. I mean, Come it's, as it's in the name. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're so cool. It's just like, but then it's like, they're you know, they're not retributors, you know, who are just they're so not. smashy. Well, that's the thing. I don't see these guys on the table. I only ever see retributors when I talk, whenever when you hear people taking them. And it's like, that's why I want to build a ton and just take a big army. Because when I, if you got enough, you could take a little of everything. Because next up are the decimators. And they can kill a half a dozen less, lesser foes with a single sweep of their blade. These guys are exceptional against hordes. They have a two-inch reach. They got this giant axe. They swing it, and they'll kill half a dozen guys at once. Why? Because that's how their attack works. A two-inch reach, and they get an attack for every model that's in range of that attack. So if you're seeing guys on 25 mil bases, which are one-inch bases... Or 20 mil is an inch, isn't it? So 25 is just over an inch? Yes, um, right around there. But so basically, you get too deep. So if you got guys, you know, three guys, you know, up against your base, you get those guys and the guys behind them. And so before you attack, you start counting up all the guys within reach of every guy in your unit, and suddenly it's like, oh, well, I've got, you know, five of these guys all lined up in a row, and you got your horde pushed up against them. I'm getting 30 attacks. Mm-hmm. I'll say, whoa, that's, wait, what? That's stupid. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, these guys are the closet case of uh, paladins because they are only really effective against one sort of thing, whereas the protectors are good against shooting units and monsters. Retributors are good against everything. These guys, really good against hordes, not that great against other stuff. So... Kind of a closet case, but what they do get with those axes, as we've mentioned, it's a ton of attacks 
against horde units, you definitely want the horde to pile in against you first to maximize how many guys you get to swing at. Um, the prime for this unit gets to add one to his to wound rolls, so he still hits on threes, but then he wounds on twos, which is kind of a big deal. Um, and then if you do the LC on foot behind them, they now hit on twos with all of those attacks, so they can clean house quite easily against hordes, which is what Stormcasts have a problem with. And then... If you're playing an army have, that has a sideboard... Oh, yeah. You definitely these put these in. in yeah, and then if you're playing that horde army, you're like, okay, I could put aside this and bring these guys in. Because mm-hmm. they just they go, they go through it like butter. Yeah, and these guys combo very well with the Celeste and Prime, which we'll talk about later. Um, the enemy that's within six inches of a decimator when they take a battle shock tech, has to add two to that number. So if you, you know, kill 12 guys, you've effectively killed 14 when they do their battle shock test. Yep. And then when the prime drops in, if they're within 12 of him, it's another minus two to their bravery. So you're essentially adding a four point swing on battle shock. So. These guys are a closet case. And if you're fighting horde things, a lot of that stuff is only four and five bravery on those horde models. Oh, yeah. So and when you're then getting... they go away very quickly. <laughs> well, let's see. I killed 12. I got another two. That's 14. So I've all... you already have nine running. Roll your dice. See how many more that is. You know, it's like, oh. Yeah. Poof. They are a there good thing. It's army. Just... In a situation, they are the closet case, but they're still really good. Yep. All right, so uh, prosecutors, their wings gleam in resplendent rays. They throw their weapons and reach out, and another one appears. Um, they're in all the strike chambers, a large portion of Harbinger chambers. Um, kind of what I like about these guys, and you know, when they first came out, people, a lot of people don't like the wings. I kind of like them. They're sort of built with armor. If you read the description, they're like, they're almost crystals. Like they're, they're, they glow with light. They're like crystals. They're flying with this weird steampunky. you know, it works by my thoughts, but it's a metal on a ball joint with crystals. Like, and and it's and that's what's propelling my six hundred pounds of armor into the air. I just I love I, this defies all logic and it's just fantastic. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be beams of light, isn't it? Though uh, I, I'm not certain. I thought it was. I thought they were crystal when I read something else, but I could be wrong. Um, you know what I like though? Look at this picture on page forty three. If you got your book with you. Yeah. It talks about when they throw their hammers, they just throw their hammers down when their hammer goes wow, plam and hits stuff. And then they reach out and another hammer just like appears because they're they're made from pure celestial energy and apparently when you do that that just makes more of itself. It's like Doritos or whatever. Um <laughs> Doritos. I'm thinking the next time I paint some of these, now that I'm done and looking at these guys, is maybe try to paint the the one in the front all white and like with just like rune fang steel and white with some white edge around the hand. So like that one out front has mm-hmm. just has just reformed. I think that would be a cool thing to way to paint it like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Like it's kind of it's neat. Mhm. So yeah. I mean, it's just I like that picture when I saw it. I'm like that's that's how you should paint it with the one hammer sort of phasing in. 
Um, there's two. There's two flavors of prosecutors. Um, yeah. Which one? Uh, there seems to be a lot more rules for the guys with the hammers, like the guys that come in the box set, than with the javelins. Yeah. Um, regardless of what they take, um, the javelin or the hammer version. They all have Heralds of Righteousness. Now, I misread this originally. I thought they rolled 3d6 for their charge distance and took the highest two. I and then you on that you one. came over and got me on that one. I didn't realize that they charged that far. Yeah, um, that's right. I was never... like, how can you charge that far? I'm like, well, why would you be able to declare an 18-inch charge if you can't possibly move 18 inches? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I never charge with mine, so it's not something I've ever done. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, they died, but <laughs> I charged yeah. them in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two versions, uh, the hammers, you get to do a lot of different ways to arm these guys. Um, they each come with a hammer, and then you can either give them another hammer or a shield. Um, so they get the Liberator shield, so they get to reroll ones for save, which is neat if they take the hammer they get to reroll ones to hit, and that's both shooting and close combat. And in combat, they're actually better with their hammer than they are at range. So they're hitting on threes and winning on threes with their hammers. No rend, but still, that's a really good profile. Yep. Um, and then shooting their two attacks, fours and fours, rerolling ones um, with the double hand with the double hammer. And then one in every three can take a grand weapon, and they're the only ones that can take a grand axe, which is a one-inch version of the the decimator axe. Yeah. But then you forego your shooting phase with that model. So just be cognizant of that because you lose the hammer to take the big weapon. So just pay attention to that. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because it says that you can instead take a Grand Axe, Grand Blade, or Grand Hammer. So just make sure you don't roll those two dice because you don't have a hammer anymore. Well, um, you can only do it with one in every three models. So that's, yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot to remember, but it's just kind of automatic. Oh, I have a prosecutor. They have a shooting attack. So um, just watch out for that. But they're super quick. Movement 12. These are your guys that fill the role of, like, running objectives, but they're still very small units. So, again, what Stormcasts normally suffer with, they suffer against a lot of models because they don't have a lot. So, yeah, they're good. Um, my personal version um, is the ones with the Javelins. These are the guys that I take every game. I take at least two units of them because they go get objectives. They actually shoot pretty well. And they're a lot more survivable than most people give them credit for. Um, so they come stock with a javelin, which is an 18-inch shot plus a 12-inch move. Three to hit, three to wound, rend nothing, damage one. But if they're more than nine inches away, it's damage two. Because as it arcs up in the air, a lightning bolt hits and it goes down as a bolt of lightning instead. So, cool. Um, yeah. And then the one in three weapon on them is the trident. So it's... The same kind of profile, but it's Ren 1, Damage 2, and it doesn't get the bonus, but it's always Ren 1, Damage 2, regardless of the range. Um, and then you give that on the Prime, so you can take two shots with it. If these guys do max damage just in shooting, that's eight wounds out of three guys, which is really, really okay. Um, so I use these guys quite a bit. 
Um, they're not that great in combat, but they're not supposed to be in combat. They're definitely supposed to be, this is your hit and move type of unit. Yeah, I learned that running. the hard way. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people like prosecutors. I've only seen them work if they have a shield. Otherwise, they just die so quickly. Yeah, I've only got the guys with the hammers because I got the box set again. I don't want to buy anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working on converting. I was able to pick up um, one of the guys in my area is doing the tower shields on them instead of the little round shields. So he had a bunch of extra rounds. And it's like, um, can I have those, please? Sure. Oh, nice. Got it. Yeah, so I got lucky. So I'll get mine with hammers and shields to do something a little different. But these guys are great. I think they're underrated as a choice because it's only three guys. They're only two ones a pop. But they can do a lot of work, and they can fill a very specific gap in a Stormcast army. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the next thing here. Uh, the last one, the Celestant Prime. And this, okay, this is the guy, um, you know, he was one of the first guys Sigmar was putting together, and he could never finish him. Um, let's see. He was the most heroic of mankind's champions, a great king and guardian of men from an age rapidly growing darker. When he was chosen as the first by Sigmar, the god king poured into him a prodigious portion of divine might. Yet the process was not fully concluded. This greatest of aspirants remained in stasis in the storm-wracked dome of the Forbidden Vault. Without Sigmar's hammer, Galmaraz, the first stormcast, was incomplete. And his completion, quote, shook skulls from the foundation of the brass throne. So that's a big thing. Right? I mean, that's, you know, what's going on? Oh, he completed his thing. Uh, it, can, no, it claims it can slay greater demons with a single thunder-cracking impact, breaking body and banishing it utterly. Now, hold on. I just want to finish reading this part because I was like, what? Um... Okay, full of energies of the realm, its hammer blows can slay greater demons with a single impact, breaking its body and banishing it. Yet the power of the Celestine Prime is more than sheer destruction. If there is the slightest kernel of uncorrupted soul left in the smitten, then the blow frees the spirit as it crushes the tainted form. Those who are redeemable are purified. The spirits loose in a manner are not dragged to the realm of chaos, nor dissolved into the underworld ruled by Nagash. Instead, the spirits wing their way to Azir, there to be presented before Almighty Sigmar, the final judgment is his and his alone for a place in his army awaits those few who are found worthy. So this is what happened to Torglug. Mm-hmm. The Celestine Prime smashed him, but he still had a part of him that resented being evil, that still loved being good, and uh, whoop, got, to be a, got, got another chance. So they're laying it down yep. here, and it doesn't come in until the book's way, uh, you know, a few months later. Um, yeah, and a lot of people missed this when it came out because the answer was right there in front of us. And then when it happened, it's like, wait a minute, how does that work? Well, they told us in the Stormcast book, so. Yep. Surprise? It, <laughs> yeah, I missed it too. Now, killing greater demons in one shot, does this happen with this guy? I mean. Um, it's not going to be one hit. Um, he's got. A really impressive profile with the hammer. Um, it starts very low at two attacks. Three to hit, two to wound, rend three, damage three. 
So it's a huge spread of damage. Um, but he, obviously you can only take one of him because, you know, there's only one of him. Um, he starts the game off the table. He doesn't get a choice. He has to be upstairs. Um, for every full turn he's upstairs, he gets to add two to the attacks characteristic of the hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, until he comes down. So he starts with two. If he drops in turn one, he's only got two. Turn two, he gets four. Turn three, he gets six. Turn four, he gets eight. Turn five, he gets ten. So this profile changes from, oh, that's kind of pitiful, to, holy crap, uh, this guy's a tank. Um, Just this last weekend, I had him come down turn three against one of Mike Butcher's great unclean ones and smote him in one turn. Um, it wasn't one hit, but you know, <laughs> it took like four hits. But the point is he can come down and he can clean something's clock very, very well. But he's going to be a good chunk of your army that starts off the table. So, And for him, you have to be careful where you position him. He has to be nine inches away when he drops in. Right, and he's, and got, he's got a got big base. A, He's got a big base, so he's tough to defend against if you don't remember that he's got a distance. Um, his other trick, well, he's got two. He does have a shooting attack. Um, he gets to pick a point within two feet of him that he can see and drop a comet, and every unit within d6 inches of that takes d3 mortal wounds this is an automatic thing every turn he just has to pick a spot um um, as well the turn he comes in um you force your enemy to subtract two from their bravery rolls or from their battle shock tests um within 12 inches of him until uh your next hero phase so if he comes in the top of a turn until he gets to your hero phase, anybody within 12 inches of him is minus two bravery. And then you combine that with his damage profile. Yeah, it's just Holy crazy. cow. Yeah. Um, and then he's got a neat trick. Um, the orrery, which a lot of people will forget about this half of the trick. Once per turn, not per battle round, once per turn, he can change a dice roll that affects him to whatever he wants. So he has to come down nine inches away. Okay, cool. On two dice, you're probably not going to make the charge because you need a nine. If I suddenly roll two dice and all I need to do is roll a three out of those two dice, one of them has to be a three or better. I change the other one to a six and I'm in combat. Exactly. Um, so he's tough to defend against. Um, he's only got eight wounds and a three up save. No save against mortal wounds, so he is glass. If he takes a lot of hits, he's going to go down quickly. So just be cognizant of that. He's not like this super character like Nagash or Illyrial that has saves and healing and everything. He's glass. His job is to hit like a lightning bolt and then get out of dodge. He's awesome. I take him every game. Can't say enough about him. Yeah, the Prime is something that I haven't played yet because I don't have mine built. Um, mm-hmm. So here's my question. You know, I, yes, the longer you keep him off the battlefield, the better the weapon gets. But the longer you keep him off the battlefield, the longer you're not getting to use him, especially in a lot yeah. of tournaments where you've only got five rounds to play. 
When do you mm-hmm. bring him in? It depends what I'm going against. Um, my target is to bring him in turn three. Um, okay. And I will try to go second in that battle round if I can swing it. Um, just this way, if he comes in, he's going to kill whatever he touches, but then my opponent is going to get a turn to kill him. So I don't want to risk that kind of investment just to fly in, kill something, and then die. I'd like at least a chance to get the double turn and make him a little more effective if not support him. Okay. Um, if I'm fighting against in, in certain scenarios where your opponent's kind of bottlenecked, <coughs> you may want to bring him in turn one and have him just rain comets. Because um, his whole thing is I pick a spot within 24 inches and I roll a dice to see how big the damage spread is. You can change that dice on the spread so you essentially have a 24-inch or a 12-inch template of D3 mortal wounds, and you can do that every shooting phase. So he just depends on your scenario and what you have to do. Um, but if I'm going to use him as an interceptor and hit something in combat, I'm going to shoot for turn three because that's kind of optimal for him, so he gets okay. three turns to hit stuff. Okay, makes sense. All right. I've brought him in on turn five um, a couple of times at ten attacks, and he just melts anything that gets near him. Um, he's killed himself a couple of times because he does have a very particular counter, and that's Wrathmongers um, yeah. out of the corn Bloodbound because then they make him attack himself, and then he dies like a punk. So just be careful of target selection with this guy. I hear you. That brings us to the end of all the models. And that leaves us only with uh, some of these, um, some of the War Scroll Battalions. Um, mm-hmm. Do you play with them? Do you find you have enough points with them? Like, that's the one that's like, I want to play with them, but I never want to spend the points. It's like, it's kind of an elite army as it is. I don't have a lot of models on the table. And even the stuff that sounds cool is still 120 points here, 80 points there, stuff I don't necessarily have to spend. Yeah, in match play, it's a little tough for some of these formations to really get the cost-benefit. Um, but obviously, if you're doing narrative play, do whatever you want, whatever sounds cool. Um, yeah, and so, you know what it is? I in narrative play, I feel almost like if I start taking all these War Scroll Battalions, I almost feel kind of cheaty, like... All right, I've got mm-hmm. all these models. Now I'm going to take all this cool stuff and just make them super awesome. What do you got? You know, it's like I almost feel like I'm cheating if I start taking them in narrative play. Although that they fit better in narrative play, I guess. Excuse me. Yeah, they do. And some of these are not as cool as others, um, as evidenced by cost and match play. Um, I personally don't find myself using them. Um, I don't usually take the stuff required to play with them. And at the end of the day, I would rather put more models on the table than pay for just some extra point, extra rules for a couple of my units. So, yeah, that's just how I operate. But, yeah, um, I do think there's some cool I, stuff in here, though. Yeah, yeah, they have a lot of the lightning strike abilities that we've mentioned with the Azeros. Um, so it's just a matter of what you think is cool because there's a battalion in here for just about everything. Yeah, I mean, even if you just, I mean, Lords of the Storm, I mean, you're going to take a bunch of characters in your army because that's what really sort of gels this army together. I mean, you yourself have said, I take this and I combine it with this and I combine it with this. 
you know, you start with a Lord, a Lord Celestant, either form, a Lord Relictor, and then two to five of basically any of the other characters left, you know, uh, the Castellant, the Heralder, the Vexilor, the Aziros, the Venator, any two of those or up to five of them, you take all them together and then anywhere they're near each other in a group, uh, you know, or any, let's see, if at least three heroes are within three inches uh, of each other in your opponent's hero phase, roll a die for each enemy unit within three inches of any of them. And on a four up, they, well, they only take one mortal wound for each Stormcast eternal within an inch. So it's not a lot, you know, to pay for. But if you're playing narrative again, it's like all of a sudden, boom, it's those extra mortal wounds. It's not a great thing at all. And yeah. Plus, you got to keep them all close together, get them right up in for combat. But a lot of these guys are tanky, and they're going up there to combat to buff guys. And suddenly it's like, oh, I'm just dealing out more mortal wounds. Yeah, and then there's secondary ability on that to add all bravery, uh, add one to all bravery of Stormcast units within six inches of one of these guys. Takes their mediocre bravery and turns it up another pip. Yep. Um. You know, some of this stuff is, you know, just sort of uh, mediocre. Um, you know, uh, you know, you could take a bunch of liberators and judicators, and if you keep the liberators in front of the judicators, um, you know, add one to the save rolls for the judicators. Just basically keep these guys in front of them when they're fighting. You know, kind of use them as the shield so the judicators can shoot from behind. Oh, bonus. And uh, if they're uh, within eight inches of, you know, each other, then it, it's uh, you can reroll wound rolls for one, Ro- wound rolls of one, as long as you keep near yeah. each other. So, like lots of little, and that applies in the shooting phase too. Yes, it does. Um. Then, what was it? Uh, you know, uh, supercharged, again, um, you know, if you take retributors and prosecutors together. Uh, I like this Vanguard wing. That one's the one that interests me the most. Yeah. Um, talking about getting to move. Um, it's 120 mm-hmm. points for movement b- b- bonuses, though. That's the thing. Um, liberators within eight inches of the prosecutors... Uh, if your hit roll is six or higher, they get to make two wound rolls instead of one. So that's okay. Um, the cool thing is um, your instead of moving, uh, liberators can just vanish and pop up next to the prosecutors uh, within anywhere within five inches of prosecutors. So you got three units of prosecutors, and the unit of liberators you have, you can just pick them up and move them within five inches of any of the three units of prosecutors in that in that uh, in that battalion. So suddenly these mm-hmm. guys are jumping anywhere you want them. Um, I, I know it's not great, but it's like, oh, this is kind of neat. Like suddenly these guys are just boom where you need them to back them up. Uh, throw them in front so they can't get charged. These guys are getting close. Yeah. Guys are getting close. Pfft, these guys are standing right in front of them. Hello. Yeah, you can use this one of two ways. You can definitely do this as an alpha strike because you can. There's no order of operations, so you can have 
the one prosecutor unit run 12 plus D6, and then you teleport the liberators, and then they charge. So yeah, you can alpha too. strike it that way. Or if you're playing objective-based gaming, you have these guys fly over to the objective and then teleport the, re- the liberators right on top of it. So you can use this one like a bunch of different ways, and it's not a once-per-game to move them. So it's any time. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it's really cool. I've played against it. It's just fun to see. <laughs> what else is going on in here? Anything that really stands out? Um, um, there's one that uses a terrain feature, the Wardens of the Realm Gate. Yeah. Don't set up the Baleful Realm Gate when setting up the scenery. Instead, put it up immediately after setting up the battalion. Uh, you need a, a Castellant. Uh, you can have a Griffhound. And then a unit of Protectors, two units of Liberators, and the Realm Gate. Uh, roll a die in your hero phase if the Lord Castellant was in six inches of the Realm Gate on a four or higher you can place a Stormcast Eternal unit, either a new unit from your collection or one that was slain earlier in the battle, within six inches of the Realm Gate and more than three inches from the enemy, adding it to your army as reinforcements. This counts as a unit's move for your following movement phase. You can reroll failed save rolls for units from this battalion that are within six inches of the protectors. Mm-hmm. So that's actually that's kind of cool. Yeah, in match play, you do have to pay for the units that you come back, but... It's still cool because it's still a realm gate that's right next to you, which you can use to teleport around the table Um, because you can come in off of table edges or through another realm gate. So this one can get can you can do the light, the teleportation stuff without being obscenely cheesy with it. Yep. Because you still have to roll to see if you die. Oh, that's right, because you Um, why do you have to roll to see if you die? Because you're moving through a realm gate. Oh, that's if you move through the realm gate, but not if you summon this unit. No. Oh, no. If okay. you summon the unit, then it just comes out. But if you're yeah. going to use the, use the realm, realm gate, gate yeah. offensively, oh, okay. then you can teleport the unit within X many inches of a table edge so they can get around, play the objective game really well. Um, But there's a chance that you may die. So. Yeah. Risk, reward, but to move your army around through a realm gate and just get it into positions where it needs to be, that's pretty okay. The other nice thing is that re-rolling save rolls within six inches of it is when you pull something out, they can't just shoot it right off the board. Or you, you get that yeah. you get that extra chance to save it. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's where you start to get the thing, the warrior chamber. That's yeah, you get, yeah, they get the Lord of the Storm one, the three Thunderhead Brotherhoods, and the three Hammer Strike Forces. So that's literally you're talking the the one with the with the seven or four to seven characters, three Thunderheads. That's the three units of eliminate Liberators and the two units of Judicators. So that's suddenly nine and six, and the Hammer Strike Forces two units of Retributors and a unit of Prosecutors. So now you got six and three of that. That's just crazy. That's when you get the lightning strike. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you're setting those up. And the, what was that? the guy had the rule about the people with the lightning strike. What was that before? The knight of zeros. Oh, that's right. So now you can call them in near him. 
Yep. A whole, all that stuff. Call a whole army down. That's crazy. That's just stupid. The Harbinger Chamber is the same thing. One Lord of the Storm and three Vanguard Wings, which it would be, three Vanguard Wings would be three units of Liberators and nine units of Prosecutors. Oh, that's just gross. But it'd be fun. Oh, sure. Um, add one to the result of any hit rolls for models in a harbinger chamber. Oh, that's great. Uh, exemplar th- is the three devastator host. That's the one with the uh, retributors and the and uh, which one is that devastator? Yeah, there's just so much stuff going there. Oh, that's a unit of retributors, a unit of prosecutors or protectors, a unit of decimators, and a unit of yeah, unit of prosecutors. So the flyers and all three paladins. And that's three units of each one of the paladins. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, three devastation hosts. So it's three of all of those. Three units of each of the paladins. Three units of the of the of the prosecutors, and then well, the whole unit of heroes. And they're going to get bonuses too. Mm-hmm. This is cr- oh. and their lightning strike. Drop it all down. Um. Oh. And oh, what's their bonus? If a unit uh, from one of these from one of this chamber is slain in the combat phase, pick another unit within ten inches of it. They harness the celestial energy of their brethren slain in the, and they enact, add one to the attack characteristics of all of that unit's melee weapons for the remainder of the battle. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's just fantastic. And that's about it. That's this whole book, just the craziness. I don't know how great the, um, like you said, I don't know how great the, uh, using all those uh, War Scroll battalions are, but I do know that the right combination of characters with these, with the units just are great, just so good. Yeah. Just divvying out tons of attacks, tons of mortal wounds. I may not be doing magic, but I'm just mortal wounding things left and right. Yeah, and this is an army that is very good for beginners to learn. It's very flexible. It's very forgiving. Um, so that's why a lot of people will pick it up. Um, but it's also so much variety because you can shape your uh, storm host to exactly what you think is cool. So, and like I said, just, I mean, I want to I want to bring in a lot of that stuff from the extremist chamber, but right now I'm just playing with the things I have, and I'm having so much fun with it, and I'm just yeah. excited to bring in all the other things. It's like, oh, I just want to try all the other things. Like, but I'm playing a way different army than you play. I'm not doing as well as you're doing, but I'm playing a way different army than you play, and we're still having fun. And there's it's still a viable list. I still do okay with it. Like, it still plays well. Yeah, I've played against um a storm host horde which is probably something that really caught me off guard it was 62 stormcasts on the table what what did um, they take just a lot of liberators no <laughs> um he had um one lc on f- one lord castellant on foot a lord celestant on foot uh two units of 10 liberators two units of five judicators with bows Two units of five retributors, two units of five decimators, and three units of three prosecutors with javelins. 
Hmm. How many points is that, roughly? 2K. That's not too dissimilar from my list. Yeah, with the... Like, I played against... um, I forget his last name, but Guillaume in Mm -hmm. Canada, if you're listening. Hi, I still remember you. I'm still stealing your list. Um, He was the only guy that tabled me when I was up in Canada at the Canhammer (laughs) tournament. Um, I still won the scenario because I had my retributors off in the corner. Um, Otherwise, I got tabled. I had no answer for this particular Stormcast list. Um, It's a great list, and it's nothing crazy. It's just, here's my Stormcast army. Good luck. You just march them forward and keep swinging those hammers. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, it's not... It's not like this tricky army, like... Oh, the teleport or anything crazy. It's just I'm going to put down more models than you can possibly handle, and I'm going to run it at you, and you're going to have to try to stop it. Good luck with that. Mm -hmm. All right. You know what? One last break, and then we're going to come back, and um, I just want to talk briefly. Um, You know, people, I guess, you know, it's it's the, the in thing. Uh, this is the uh, you know the the pay to win army. Um, so I know you were saying that there's a lot of things you could take to counter it. You were talking about Russ had talked about easy ways to counter the teleport banner and things like that. We'll talk a little bit about things that that these guys have trouble with, and then we'll wrap up the show. So we'll be right back. Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. And we are back with Tactics Against Stormcast. Um, so I think there are none. I think if, uh, if I come up to the table and I'm playing my Stormcast, you should give up. I think that's what I should do. you should do. No. No. I mean, I've, what I've seen a lot of people complain about is, oh, Stormcast, they're the Space Marines. They get all the cool toys. They're, you know, the poster boys. Okay, well... Sure, they are the they're supposed boys. to, but they're not unbeatable. Um, they have a lot of things that are new mechanics to those of us that came from Eighth um, and other games that have kind of preconceived notions of what armies are supposed to look like and supposed to do. And these guys break them, um, particularly with the teleport, particularly with lightning strike, particularly with dropping in. Um, 
So we've talked about the fence and how to prevent yourself from getting hit with the uh, Retributor Bomb, which is the Teleport, Vexilor, and Retributor combo. Um, you be, build the fence, and you can do this with a lot of different units, whether it's zombies or skeletons uh, for death. Skinks are a really good example. Um, pretty much anything like cheap infantry. And as long as you keep two models, like every other model has to be within an inch of something, so you can pluck off and not let them get through as you take damage from shooting. And the Vexilor bomb. Um, so it's just play defensively, play smart, and don't get into that funk of, I can't beat that, because you can. It's definitely stoppable. You just have to give your opponent something that they can't deal with effectively for the bomb and then surround the stuff that they're going to go after. Um, The only person that I've played against that has defended against the bomb was playing a chaos list. He surrounded Glotkin and most of his characters with Ungors just to keep the bomb away. And the only other high value target I could effectively hit was a unit of 12 Minotaur. And <laughs> I can kill a lot of things with Retributors. I can't kill 12 Minotaur. Um, for, these guys, for whatever reason, have a real hard time with four wound infantry or higher. Um, it just takes so much more to kill them. It's just very tough for a Retributor bomb to deal with four wound infantry like minotaurs, like trolls, like ogres, um, stuff that everyone has access to. It's just a matter of you taking it. Um, they have a really hard time dealing with them. It takes so much more to get the job done. So those are the kind of things that are going to give Stormcast players problems. In scenario play, take more models than him. He can't kill all of them, and that's how they die. They die by a lot of attacks and making him roll dice. So... It's just be cognizant of what you're doing and don't panic. If you get hit with the Retributor Bomb, which will probably happen, don't panic. It's a gut check after he hits you. So just keep with it. Don't give up and try to figure out his habits and make him think. It's the best thing you can do. It's just to keep thinking and keep trying because eventually you're going to crack through it and that guy's going to realize he can't eat the Vexilor anymore. So, I've found it's a little rough against ogres in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just the damage output. Yeah, with ogres is just immense. Because especially with the iron breakers, because your three wound guys who seem so awesome against normal guys, um, they disappear if they fail their armor saves. Yeah, there's just so many swings that iron guts put out at three damage a pop with ren one. Yeah. They're going to crack through your retributors. And then if he's thrown it, then he's going to be at your mercy pretty much. Because mm-hmm. the rest of his stuff is not going to be able to stand up to the rest of your army. So just give him tough choices and make sure that you don't cluster everything. You can spread out is the other option to the bomb. Um, spread out and say, you know what, you're going to take something. That's fine. The rest of my army is going to run away from you. Don't feel like you have to kill these things. Just get away from them. 
Yep. They're very slow. They're movement four. Just run. He can't <laughs> catch you. That yeah. Uh, yeah, even though, well, the guy, yeah. And then if he does want to catch you, he'll take the guy with the horn and he'll let him run at you and then charge at you. And then he's alone. He just ran away yeah. from the whole army. And yes, he's going to kill a lot, but you can surround him and take him out. Or you can, he's got that one unit and then he's tied up with that one unit halfway across the board and you're moving your army over there. So yeah, it is, it, it's, it is a way that, you know, you can keep that slowed down. Um, Mm -hmm. I find that also against horde armies, yes, they can do a lot of damage. They can wipe out the hordes when they get in there. But if you've got stuff that's got a lot of shooting or just a massive amount of attacks, uh, just like anything in this particular game where anything can kill anything, a lot of attacks, a lot of shooting, you know, um, eventually it's going to pick through. It's going to bing, 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 and you've only got units of 10 or 15. And when you lose two, three... You know, you not you you know, your effectiveness suddenly much less. Four becomes like you know your forty mil bases. A lot of times, I've only got five or six guys in base contact. But after you get that first three knocked down, it's like suddenly anything else that I, that I lose, I can't afford to lose any more than that. If you can ping off three or four with some shooting, or you've got those horde guys who can come around who can take a few losses, and suddenly just the massive amount of attacks are, are knocking those guys off. That's that's the only that's the only buffer. I mean, your real your real buffer before it starts really affecting you is about, especially in units of ten, is like three. Yeah, you know, once they get past there, ugh, I can't I can't handle anymore because suddenly my effectiveness is 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 going out the window. Yeah, and take out their support characters, especially the Lord Celeste on Dracoth. He should be one of your target number ones. Just because he keeps the army on the table. He's brutal. It's going to be hard to take him out, but if you can do mortal wounds or stuff like that, there you go. Yeah. It's just kill the characters, kill the support pieces, and kill the stuff that makes his army work. And that's going to be your movement pieces. And, again, don't engage the retributors if you don't have to. If you can't kill them, don't go near them. Move. They won't catch you. It's okay. Yeah. So that's just my two cents. And then play for the objectives. Don't feel like you have to kill that unit. You just have to keep it busy. So it can't be everywhere. That is true. And and that's the one drawback is it's you're still playing with, for the most part, with an elite army. And it, 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 it can't be everywhere. You've only got so much on the table. Um. Uh, so a good general will pick, focus all your stuff on, on a unit and smash that unit. Pick everything you can mm-hmm. and, and get that unit down and smash it, um, breaking each individual unit one at a time. If you can, through focused fire, focused attacks, um, suddenly reduces the effectiveness of everything around it. So, that yeah. Be, yeah. It's just be cognizant. He's only going to have about 40 to 50 models on the table. And that's most other players' army. Like for one unit, you're going to have 40 models in a unit, maybe more. The other guy's going to have 40 to 50 models in his army. Yeah, they're two wounds each or more, but you're going to outbeat him in model count games. And you're going to be able to absorb damages. He can't. He has to stand there and try to minimize. 
that's why I play mine like Wood Elves. Because I can't stand protracted combats except for two units um, really effectively. So Pay attention to the characters, which characters mm-hmm. do what. And if you know kind of what they do, you'll know which guys to target. Yeah. You know. So read up on them. The rules are free. <laughs> I think that's it. Is that it? That should be it. All right. Well, um, Alex, I want to thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, of course. And I hope people Happy are. I hope people are enjoying this and listening. I know it's way after it came out, um, but like I said, I'm rereading it. Going well. First of all, I'm always willing to listen. You know, I, I like listening to, to book reviews. Personally, I like you know talking about what's good and what's not. I kind of enjoyed the this. I might do this even with newer books. Kind of well. We'd have to have played it a bit to know if the fluff follows with the army list. And um, people always want, when are you going to cover this book? It just came out. I don't, you know, so I, I don't know. Maybe we'll, you know, delay them a little bit. I don't, I don't think, I don't feel the need anymore to put out a book review within, you know, 48 hours of the book coming out. Um, yeah. You know, so. But this was kind of fun, getting that second read, looking back, seeing all the stuff that changed. So, uh, I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely, it was a different review than it would have been six or seven months ago. <laughs> yeah. Because we've had more time to dissect everything and yeah. really figure it out. Yeah, well, both in the playing aspect and in the, in the going back and saying, wait, what? Th- what is this? Th- <laughs> what did I just read here? So... That's about that. Um, folks, thank you for listening. As always, I'm going to be doing some, uh, some I think, Black Library Fiction next episode. And uh, after that, I think, are you coming back for God Beast? Are we doing God Beast together? Someone's doing God. I hope someone's doing God Beast with me. Yeah, I think you and I had talked about doing that. Okay, good, because um, me and Lindsay I still need don't to source the book, good. but. Oh, know. anybody got a copy of God Beast they want to loan or give to Alex, let me know. Or let Alex know. You're uh, some kind of geek on Twitter? Yeah, some kind of geek 30 on 30 Twitter. On Twitter. There's 29 other some kind of geeks before you, I see. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and, folks, um, as always, you know, I, I would have, you know, uh, iTunes reviews are great. If anyone can, can drop one for the show, I do appreciate them. I do read them. I do love them. Uh, voicemail. Uh, iTunes. We are at tga.community if you want to find this show thread and you want to find uh, you want to comment on the show um, we're at the forums at tga.community we're also on Facebook you can comment on the show thread there um, one last uh, our our end, end of the episode plea for Patreon folks it's uh, growing and thanks to the people who have been who have become patrons um you know, if you guys want to help out, throw in a little tip. The show's free. It's always going to be free. You don't feel any obligation. But if you can afford anything, you know, it's greatly appreciated. We're so close right now to hitting our fourth goal, which is a kind of a big goal for us. Um, we are going to have YouTube videos coming out. That By the time you're listening to this, I will have at least recorded the first one, and hopefully I'll have it edited and out. Um, and we're going to have those out on a regular basis. Um Twitch TV is our next step. Um, going to have doing live shows. You will hear this unedited and um, raw, and they are they're raw. 
Um, they are not polished, so you'll hear it with all its uh, in all its ugliness, and you'll be able to be in the little chat room with us. Um, and that's thanks to the people who are supporting us on the pay- on the Patreon. Uh, in fact, seriously, if like if one out of every fifty people said, "Hey, I can throw in a bucket show," we would definitely hit our fifth goal, um, which I know some people are excited about because that's bringing back Garage Gamer uh, at least once a month bringing back other stuff other than just AOS, other games, other reviews, other talking about just other stuff. Um, very excited about that. And um, I do want to go through, and I know part of this is I, I promised some of the, so I just kind of want to say thank you to the people who have done this so far. Uh, it'll just take me a minute. Um, Craig Bowles, Donald Taylor, Chris Crane, Dylan Smith, Alexander Nygaard. Uh, if I mingle your name, I apologize. Johan Mata, uh, Tom Lambert, Dominic Reitman, Lori Ames, Matthew Shanning, Shanning, uh, Davis Bailey, Jan, Vincent O'Shea, Joe Hadfield, Jerry Butts, Phil Elliott, Jason Morosky, Andrew Leach, Callum Edmondson, Doug Griggs, Tyler Emerson, Daniel Callahan, Jonathan Morelli, Daniel Jolson, Greg Deekhouse, Greg Dan. A, someone just put their name in as A. Uh, Matthew Gillen, Jamie Searle, uh, Jay Wilson, Brian Livery, Christian Sylvia, and of course, cannot forget our associate producers, uh, James Mackey, Ryan Taylor, and Shirley Tempel. These are all people who have decided to become patrons and are keeping this show not only running, but are moving it up to a whole new level. And seriously, you want to know what the level is? What do you see the nonsense that goes up on YouTube in about a week? Or might be up even when this episode goes up. And you'll see what I'm up to. And it's fantastic. I cannot thank you guys enough. Um, please check out our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Garage Hammer. Thanks, Alex. Thanks again for coming on, brother. Hey, no problem. All right. Happy to do it. See you in a few weeks, folks. Episode 156. So until next time. Only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through David at GarageHammer.net. You can reach me, that's Chris, through Chris U at GarageHammer.net. And you can reach both of us through GarageHammer at Live.com. If you want to help support Garage Hammer, check the support page or the show store on our website or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening.